Don't miss a moment of Ireland's tour of New Zealand. But even if we give them more time, they're not going to hit the level that Johnny is hitting at and what he brings out of other players. You know, Ireland were just fantastic. They produced probably the greatest ever victory for, for Ireland. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It's half past seven. You're very welcome along to Friday's OTB AM. It's Owen and Ashling with you right away through until 10 o'clock this morning. And we're going to be looking ahead to the Camogie final this weekend. We're going to have reaction to a big night last night with the Irish sides in Europe. We're going to have the quick picks. We're going to have some Premier League chat. We'll chat to David Herity about the new Kilkenny appointment. And the crappy quiz is back this morning for the first time in four weeks. If you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us a tweet at Off The Ball. You can leave a comment on our YouTube stream if that's where you're catching us. Uh, Ashling, how are you keeping? Good now, Owen. How are you? The celebration's going well? Yes, they're still flying it in me, absolutely. I think we're on day five now. Uh, they're still going strong. I'm updated by the, the Instagram at this stage. Um, the likes of Katie New is on my team and Tear Show Kane as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm strongly looking at their Instagram the whole way through and uh, the celebrations are, are definitely flying it. They're well able for them anyways. Do you think Vicky Wall went for airport pints before starting her professional <laughs> career? Do you know what? I, I wouldn't put a past her. Absolutely. Some of the celebrations were wild um, and she even fitted in. I'd seen a, a night out with her friends as well, um, away from football, just obviously to see them before she goes as well. So, um, yeah, fair play to them. Um, and Orla Lally is gone as she went yesterday. She flew out to Australia and she was partying up until she left as well. So, uh, yeah, it's mad. They'll go from such a high back into professional lifestyle. Yeah, not a bad complaint to have no, all the same. No, definitely not. Uh, Colin Buig is with us in the studio as well. Colin, how are you getting on? Owen and Ashling, hello. How are you? Are you pumped for the Premier League? Absolutely pumped. It's here. Is this, uh, was this summer the first time that the Community Shield has ever been contested in July? What about uh, the COVID year was pushed back, wasn't it? It was pushed back, yeah. I think it was later September, again. But yeah. it just seems odd, yeah. I think I would usually associate this weekend with the Community Shield and next weekend is the start of the Premier League. But of course, it's World Cup scuppering everything. But I'm excited. And usually I'm quite fatigued and not ready for the return of the Premier League. But for whatever reason, I'm, I'm excited this summer. And I, it's intangible. I can't quite put it down to anything. Maybe Manchester United have a new manager, Eric Ten Hag. Slightly more positive than where we left it off. With the United... It was so dire there that the last day of the season they comfortably lost the Crystal Palace away and nothing was made of it. Mm. But here we are now with Christian Eriksen, Tyrell Malassia, Lisandro Martinez and hopefully one or two other additions and yet we don't really have any recognisable, uh, consistent striker who's actually going to be a threat to defences if Cristiano Ronaldo gets his way and doesn't play and if the club get their way and he leaves. So at the same time, there's a lot of doubts, a lot of negativity but... It's kind of, uh, kind of confident. I like how the question about your excitement for the Premier League season in general has just led to a complete review of the Manchester United squad. I thought that's, that's what you meant. To be fair, that's what it generally does mean. I do think that we're we're still kind of we're still kind of used to the very compressed schedule that we've had for the last two years, over yeah. two years. That I think that this has been our first break for a while, and that's why people are excited. We will get to the Irish teams in Europe in just a while. We will hear from uh, Stephen Bradley amongst some other people, hopefully before eight o'clock this morning. 
morning but we did just want to stick with the Premier League because it all gets underway tonight we're going to have live commentary throughout the season as well uh, on off the ball and like I said at OTB Sports uh, and News Talk have signed a new three year deal with the Premier League for a live and exclusive commentary of Premier League games every Sunday for the next three years so it all starts this Sunday with exclusive commentary of Manchester United against Brighton with Brian Kerr and Nathan Murphy followed by West Ham against the champions Manchester City with Kenny Cunningham and Stephen Doyle all of off the ball's football coverage is in association with Sky and to celebrate the return of live football off the ball will tonight have an exclusive interview with Mr Roy Keane from 7 o'clock so uh, Joe Malloy in conversation with Roy Keane that'll never lead to much that'll never you know, be a, a semi-viral moment at all you definitely don't want to tune in for that but we do want to chat broadly about the Premier League because tonight Crystal Palace against Arsenal kicks off the season Arsenal of course kicks off the season last year against Brentford got humbled on uh, the opening night of the season and uh, just on time Amazon have dropped the first three episodes of All or Nothing the inside scoop to Arsenal's last season we've been watching it this week I've watched all three Colin I think you've watched one episode actually you've watched a couple of episodes what, what do you make I think you're pretty impressed with what you've seen so far yeah I thought it was really well done like I had goosebumps when I first started just what? yeah I really did just yeah but the behind the scenes it sort of lets you in really what goes on it brings you nearly back to basics and how they really simplify it all when you might have a you know an idea of what it would be like being a professional athlete and I don't know how um yeah, I, I, how more I, I suppose advanced it would be when like Arteta is in the dressing room and he's like writing up on a on a whiteboard and he's basically bringing it back to the fans and what the supporters mean and um you know if you have passion and a heart for the game and you just think that it'd be nearly more um, advanced than that I'm sure it is and they don't show us absolutely everything but it's actually funny the way they bring it back to basics and how much the supporters actually have an effect on the team the management you know you you do expect that to a certain extent but um, yeah I was surprised at how much of nearly an influence they have even in the dressing room you know they're talked about quite a lot and um, obviously what it means once you know you start playing well you score they'll get behind you and yeah so far I'm really enjoying it it's a, it's nice to see behind the scenes I, I'm here like everybody there heard Cullum's gasp when he thought it was good what's 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 your issue with this no goosebumps for you no goosebumps was what I, <laughs> I, I, good is good can be entertaining but good you, you can find it uh, funny to laugh at or laugh with well, that's I, question, I didn't really. expect goosebumps the, well, I, that's the dilemma I find myself in here because, you know, I, I'm, I like Mikel Arteta. I like Arsenal Football Club. I'm not sure, is, is everybody laughing at Arsenal Football Club or laughing with Arsenal Football Why Club? Why would you be laughing it, at It them? tends to be the former. Well, I the just... Start, the start I, to laugh I, th- I think. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, if, yeah. I thought you meant just on the documentary. Well, I, like if we go on the start of last season, like I mentioned the Brentford game last year, it was a terrible, terrible start to the season last year and everybody was like, oh, Amazon are in there. It's going to be one of the greatest all or nothing documentaries ever. And I was kind of in agreement with that I was like you know what I may not be able to appreciate this but this is going to be one of the greatest pieces of schadenfreude ever produced (laughs) on modern television and to be honest with you the schadenfreude element of it is completely disappointing the best thing you're going to get as an Arsenal hater watching this documentary is KSI sitting there you may not even know who KSI is I barely know who he is sitting in the Emirates saying being an Arsenal fan right now sucks it's tragic like that's that's the worst you're going to get you're not going to get any tears from Mikel Arteta or uh, Saka questioning whether or not he is going to live up to his potential or Granite Jacket throwing a boot at anybody or uh, the hairdryer treatment being disposed what it actually is is you know KSI being unhappy a few Arsenal fans being unhappy and everybody else being like we can get back from this we can recover and 
that's really it. There, 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 there is nothing being pulled back to say, oh, this was a complete disaster, that the club was on the brink. So maybe that was a reality, or maybe there's just a very positive spin put on what was a very negative couple of weeks for the club. You know, um, one thing that we reviewed, myself and Ashley in the office earlier, and Phil Egan got in it too, is just how basic the instructions and team talks are at the absolute elite level of the game are certainly what we're being shown in these documentaries. And I always suspect that really behind the scenes again, when it really is private, that there's far more nuanced tactical instruction given than what we're privy to. Exactly, because you can't give away the details. But it's amazing how kind of Sunday league... A lot of it is like, it's, oh, it's all about the heart, lads. You just get out there and give it to them. And then everyone's like, yeah, yeah, go on. And then it's trotting out and it's like, oh, another game. And I'm thinking, Jesus, this is the absolute pinnacle of football. I and love this is what the, we're hearing. Yeah, I love the part where the photographer, they bring the photographer in. Sorry, I don't, I don't know his name, but uh, they brought him in and he gave the, the talk before they went oh, I'm out. I'm not there yet. That's episode two, okay, is sorry, it? sorry, spoiler yeah, alert. That's a big one for me. I'm excited I, about that. I now. thought it was brilliant the way they'd done it. And like at the end, obviously they won the game and then they come back into the dressing room and it's all about the photographer. He's the one that... Yeah, because like that, inter- that was the North London Derby last year. Yeah. And after the game, we saw Mikel Arteta hug this guy who was clearly the photographer because he had a camera on him. And everybody was like, what's the what's story happened? there? It was just yeah. Arteta being really happy and you know finding the nearest staff member and giving him a hug but as the documentary reveals Arteta actually brought the photographer in to tell the players how much he loves the club how much he loves the players how much the fans and and like the fans really love the players and he gave the team talk before the game so we, I don't think we knew that beforehand that really? he brought the photographer in to essentially give uh, give uh, a bit of a, a G up to the players like I mean it's, uh, you talk about the whiteboard and, and Arteta and, and what he draws like some of it is David Brent stuff like <laughs> incredible like, like that maybe first episode maybe, maybe if David Brent was a manager he would inspire uh, clubs to victory in some capacity we, we don't know the motivational power of David Brent really like maybe their company was actually vastly successful in, in the office and we actually just don't know but it did like I, I can't really I wasn't looking at the stuff from Arteta being like that's seriously impressive like when he draws a brain and puts a smiley face on it and he draws a heart and puts a smiley face on it You're spoiling all this for me I've only seen episode one he gets the brain and the heart to hold hands so you know it's like, <laughs> the fan the fan, the with fan the, in the background yeah, with the scarf yeah so and then he says connect the three connect the three things you're there alienating you all of us <laughs> yeah. I've only seen episode one I'm, I'm telling you haven't seen it you know I'm, I'm bring, I'm bring, I'm we want to watch in. it now I, I don't think it's going to blow you away the spoiler of seeing well I enjoyed enjoy. episode one where he did his graph of unhappiness after the first three games and he was like right now I'm down here I'd like to get an Owen Sheehan graph of happiness every week and see where you are and see how we can alter that. Then by the end of that scene, like there's so much writing on that. I was like, what, what point are you trying to make here? Well, he said he said that um, he said that when he was uh, a child, he was he had ba- yeah. a, a heart issues, yeah. and he said that a team of people came together, a team of doctors came together to save his life, and I think. I'm not 100% sure, but I think he was trying to make the comparison between a team of doctors working together to save a boy's life and a team of Arsenal footballers coming together to get good results. And then he goes on to draw the x-axis and the y-axis and he puts a dot below the x-axis and say, I was here last week, I was dead. And I was like, not really, not literally, Mikel, obviously. And then he says, but this week I am up here because it's been the best week of my life. And then he draws a load of squiggles, mm. which isn't very becoming of a graph. And I got very confused. But it worked. They, it they won that game, they, they beat Norwich. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, it's the, easy the season to, was on. Yeah, it's easy to mock these managers because, like, they're in there every day. They have to come up with something new all the time. I imagine yeah. that there was a lot of cringeworthy stuff from Alex Ferguson back in the day that never saw the light of day. Like, you're going to try something yeah. new. Now, on that note, what I'm very excited about 
is the playing of You'll Never Walk Alone in the training field, which I assume, based on when that game is played, won't be until later in the series. No, it was... Be, was it, it was, in it was episode three, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward so we to that. We got that. So, but that's ahead of you now. That's next episode for you. Again, I mean... I really like Mikel Arteta. I don't know why it's coming across as if I'm like slamming him here and everything that he did, but he, I think his phrase while doing that was like, this is one of my quirky ideas. I'm like, coaches do that all over the world, bringing in speakers. Apparently, like really? Mick Bowen was in studio here saying that they played uh, Aaron Avine out through the speakers before the Women's All-Ireland a few years ago before Dublin played Mayo. And then Mikel Arteta, two years later, was like, you know, bringing speakers into the training ground, just one of my crazy ideas, as if he's some sort of mad scientist. Like, people do that all the time, and they were blaring out, you'll never walk alone through the speakers, and then they got smashed 4-0. Uh, he, he did take the, uh, the the good cop approach after that and uh, said that he wasn't going to criticise them too much. I don't know why I'm, like, slamming Arteta yeah. here so much. So, like, <laughs> I, re- like I really, really like Mikel Arteta. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that he's done a very, very good job. Um, but... I, I can see the, the, the flo- not the flood of abuse but people are kind of like scratching their head a little bit about some of the stuff that he did or, or, or maybe not even scratching their head about it maybe just being like well that's unusual and yeah. not necessarily saying it was the wrong thing to do I thought it was nice the way you got to know some of the players as well like Saka for example like he was just sitting having his lunch one day and he's talking about you know going out to play a game and you know hoping that he plays well and hoping that he scores and you know he's almost worrying about those things when you you wouldn't expect that mm. he's really humble and yeah so it was nice to see that side of things to what actually means to them Kieran Tierney as well speaks a little bit I, I thought all that side of it was different because you don't normally get to see it and what it means where their family were sitting in the stand and they look up to them before they go out and yeah. you know they yeah. can they wave up to them and it's all little things like that that you're like geez, they do this all the time they've been doing it for years professional footballers doesn't that surely at this stage you know where their parents are in the stand that couldn't really you know mean much to them but it's it's everything to them speaking of parents Aaron Ramsdale's parents his, yeah, his dad that's, yeah Aaron Ramsdale his character of the show for me so far episode one of mm. course done that's it but he was just amazing <laughs> yeah he was, he, was, he was the most normal dad of a professional footballer I've ever come across like the nerves were so raw and pure and what and it meant he was on the front of the programme yeah like, yeah he was delighted it was great I suppose it's what you want from these uh, documentaries as the viewer but really I just want to see what they're all like behind the scenes like mm. that is literally the purpose of the documentary so it's doing its job that way but like yeah, I'm waiting for more I'm looking forward to these next two episodes I'm always a little bit wary when we start to see what someone like Josh Kroenke is like behind the scenes like I think nobody's surprised to hear that Aaron Ramsdale and his family are good people and Bukayo Saka yeah. seems like a very very good person and Kieran Tierney seems like a very very good person and, and they all seem quite sound I'm just a little bit wary of judging Josh Kroenke on this because the story is that well, not the, like what, what we see on screen is that uh, Kroenke like, talks about the inner circle after their terrible start last season and talks about trusting the manager and essentially goes with the, the arm around the shoulder approach and maybe that's what Josh Kroenke is but like I mean are, are we going to, to, to trust Amazon to give us a, a good account of, of what this billionaire is all about. I'm, I'm just. A little, I, I would hold my judgment on on him a little bit. Really? Where, even though your initial instinct is, oh, fair play to Cronky for supporting Mikel Arteta at his lowest point. Uh, I, I would still think that maybe in the back of his mind he had some sort of plan yeah. to. to uh, surely all owners have some sort of exit strategy for their managers if things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the, the takeaways. Like. It's uh, it's good. It's good. It's worth it's worth watching. We're gonna have we're gonna have more. I think next week is it? And that, oh, I think I think we'll do, I think we'll do it weekly. I mean, no, um, I mean like we're gonna be able to watch more next week. I don't. I, don't no, I think we'll do it weekly. I think we'll do it weekly. Yeah, um, yeah Smaz, Smaz was interested too. She watched a yeah. few minutes of it. Cranky uh, stood out for her. Yeah. She's she's on the fence. On the fence about. So her. are his intentions pure? I don't know. Not sure yet. 
yeah. it, it remains to be seen. Now, I must say, there's some great comments coming in this morning. I don't know if you've seen them yet. No. Well, uh, Richard Redball says uh, we should do Owen Sheehan's happiness rankings based on that <laughs> Mikel Arteta graph. And I completely agree with that. Jojo agrees with it. I think yeah. we all want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, I think if, if he was like below the x-axis, I think I'm still probably above the y-axis after a couple of weeks. Yeah, ago. what a present that would be to give to the returning Jar Gilroy next week. Be like, we're going to do Owen Sheen's happiness rankings. He would do one of his childlike laughs and smiles. He would love that. Yeah, he could do a graph. I, I think the people would love that. Give me the eyes as if to say you want to talk about anything else but this. But I think it would be good. No, that's public service broadcasting at its finest. Well, on on the subject of you, uh, Rick Jagger has said that Owen Sheen is the Irish KSI. <laughs> Rick, you've straight uh, up LinkedIn. You've straight up there. Me. Uh, like I mean if I could get the get the good seats in the Emirates Stadium like KSI I will happily take that but unfortunately I don't have that and John Claffey is on the wind up what happened to the days when they used to make documentaries about successful football clubs oh. now on on that note are you excited about the new season tonight Crystal Palace away Centre's Park nothing could possibly go wrong in a Crystal Palace match like, I mean you talked there about uh, new season uh, excitement just in general about you know uh, English football being back and, and like people setting up their fantasy team and all that and the excitement around that like if you're not excited for a new season then I think there's probably something something is amiss but even um, being attached to Arsenal you can find some reasons not to be excited with a new season I don't think there was a whole pile of excitement last year with all the, the Covid issues and all that but this year like you kind of have to be optimistic right if, like uh, it is reasonable to say that Arsenal are going to have a good season they like I, I can I could cue a car crash tonight where uh, Crystal Palace ambushed them like they did a couple of times last season yeah. and uh, and things are very very disappointing for them but I think all in all it's going to be a very exciting season for Arsenal a defining one where they have to finish top four but an exciting one all the same. Do you remember when I asked you was it last week to name your starting eleven for Arsenal and you based it on injuries and the current status? If everyone's fit, does it change slightly with the addition of? the likes of the two new signings permanently in the team is Odegaard remaining captain because if you had actually looked through the potential starting 11 and one or two subs it actually is a strong Arsenal squad all jokes aside yeah well I think or, like I mean Odegaard is captain I mean we did, we did would you keep this. him yeah. as captain you're happy oh, with that yeah, that's what yeah. I mean yeah yeah Your like, opinion it. It, was, it was only Ger last week he was, he was suggesting it, it, it uh, possibly shouldn't happen uh, I, I'm trying to think what I even said last week I think Tierney was probably who I said would start at left back maybe if he was yeah, fit he's obviously not Zinchenko is, is somebody who fits in there straight away but everybody else I think is, is good, fit and good to go um so yeah no, I, I absolutely stand by everything I said last week so yeah Arsenal against Palace this weekend uh, tonight it kickstarts uh, the Premier League season uh, we do have one other comment coming in this morning as well because Cullum is here it's uh, Richard Redballs is Cullum going to be quizzed on why he put Galway in the red after the All-Ireland final Listen. Uh, I was not here for that so that was clearly a oh. ridiculous thing to do uh, I've seen that and I actually wondered what was going on yeah, there. yeah. yeah. Inter- interesting what was that's that you all thought about that that's interesting yeah well guys <laughs> you know, when you're producing the show you have to make topics you know you have to come up with things what are we going to talk about and actually that weekend it was an extremely positive weekend of sport and the format of that is two red one amber two green so I had to put something in red but I had Galway in the red with a caveat of it was a great performance and it's performance rankings but they lost the match so therefore they were in the red and I think, that, I think we clarified that in the day. But it's very difficult, guys. Like, if uh, people can absolutely send in their suggestions for reds and ambers and greens, and we will consider them. But ultimately, we'll make choices that will alienate people. And that's understandable. That's what the performance rankings is. That's what it's all about. Yeah. We yeah, don't no, sit in defence. 
We'll be back Except on Monday morning one. with that. You can uh, exactly. You can. Uh, we've got an Instagram box that goes up every Sunday night. If you want to give us uh, suggestions, uh, we are going to turn our attention back to yesterday evening because it was uh, mixed fortunes for the Irish teams in Europe. Uh, Sligo Rovers hammered by Viking, as Dan McDonald slightly predicted yesterday. He said it was going to be uh, a yeah. tough enough tie for them on yesterday morning's show. Uh, much better though for the other two teams, St. Pat's and Sophia. Brilliant, brilliant result for them. They win one uh, 0 over there. Serge Atakai with a goal. Coming off the bench, nipped in behind uh, the defence to, I guess, pick up a, a loose back pass. Only arrived at the club last month. A former Finland underage international looks uh, a real player and obviously gives the same path support. Of which there was only a few of them in Sofia last night. Just this unbelievable moment. They had a couple of late scares, but at the same time they could have been further in front. So really good news on that front. And then even better news for Shamrock Rovers with that beauty from Gary O'Neill in the 96th minute, giving them a 3-1 win going into next week's game uh, against Shoopy, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what the logistics are around that after the, the Shannon Airport debacle this week and Shoopy uh, and their team being interfered with and uh, the, the evil nature of uh, Irish football and Irish politics uh, clearly wasn't enough to motivate them to victory last night so uh, Stephen Doyle was watching this and uh, he was speaking to Shamrock Rovers boss Stephen Bradley following that 3-1 win have a listen Stephen Bradley you must be delighted with that result can you give me your assessment of the performance over the 90 minutes um, I thought we started really really well um, went two up obviously in the first half could have been more um, but I thought second half they took control of the game for 25 minutes 30 minutes they were the better team uh, Alan made some really good saves to keep us in, in the game at that point um, but we obviously finished really strong and uh, got the third goal which, which could prove to be a vital goal um, I actually counted the saves, six key saves I think between the first half and the second half and he was the same against Leo de Goretz as well we probably don't give him enough praise after these matches No, I think people take for granted what Alan does, in my opinion he's the best keeper in the league um, and he shows that in big moments, big occasions he's done that all his career and like you said tonight he made some crucial saves at, at, uh, at crucial times in the game because there was periods in the second half where they were much the better team and, and uh, if one of them chances goes in it's, it's a different game I was just wondering then maybe for the second leg, is there something you can pinpoint that maybe to make Alan Manis' life easier next week, how you kind of stem the flow of those shots for, the, for next week? Yeah, of course. Second half, for that 25 minutes, we were sloppy in everything we did. Uh, we allowed them too much space in dangerous areas. Um, so we've got to make sure sec- um, in the second leg over there that we don't, we don't give up them spaces. Their centre-backs seem to open up quite a lot. Is that something you, you maybe identified before the game? Because it seems to be something you try, try to attack uh, from their perspective. Yeah, and I'm disappointed in the first half we didn't punish it a bit more. We had a few opportunities to go, go and really hurt them early on when we won it back, and, and we didn't. We were a bit negative in our play. Um, but we knew they'd play like that, um, and I don't think they'll change next week either. So when we get them opportunities, we've got to go and punish them. Albert Dien, their midfielder, the number 37 that started tonight. Bit of an unknown quantity. I think they signed him just last Friday playing for Senegalese club before that. He looks like a man who can really dominate midfield. Is he somebody you'll have to look after next week? Yeah, just in general, our press has to be better than what it was second half. First half, we were, we were very good. Um, spaces were good, but second half, we were too open and, and uh, we gave him too much space. So he's a good player, but they have a lot of good players and, and we've got to make sure that our press is a lot better than what it was in the second half. You had a good lead against Hibernians going away to them for the second leg. Do you take a similar enough approach, just try and keep it tight defensive and not to give away too many chances? I don't think we can against these. I think they've got too much quality from distance. I think we've seen that tonight. I think we've got to go and attack the game and go to win the game. Um, he scored from maybe 35 yards tonight, so I think if you sit off them, uh, they have that quality around the box to really hurt us. 
Chris McCann went off injured. How's he looking? And is there anybody else might be a bit of a question for next week's tie? Uh, I'd say Chris will struggle. It's a quick turnaround. I'd imagine he will struggle. Um, but uh, Graham looks okay, and I think Jack would be fine for Tuesday as well. You think Dan Carey might start the next week with the? I mean, Dan, the only reason we didn't play Dan tonight was because he hasn't played much football, and it's it's difficult to ask him to come in and play a European game at that level, having not played. You know, um, I think it's unfair on him. Um, so it's about building him up over the next few days, and uh, hopefully he's ready to go on Tuesday. And the players, because you could see the feel of life was kind of sucked out of the, the supporters when Scuppy scored. But to finish on a high note like that, that makes such a difference to your players going away. Yeah, um, it's special. Tala um, and European nights are special, and, and uh, that's the reason why the players responded really well. Um, they tried to kill the game, goalkeeper going down every minute, but our players handled that really, really well and, and uh, finished, finished the game really strong. And, and uh, that tour goal could be vital. And just um, can I get your take on the the statement that was released by the president of uh, Skopje before the match, just about their flight and their situation? I, I, I thought myself even maybe it had a, a bit of a negative effect on their performance because they seemed a, a little bit ratty the way they played in that first forty-five minutes. Yeah, look, strange. I think we had the very same last week going to Bulgaria um, in terms of travel, hotels, everything was was really really poor. But um, unfortunately, that's the way it is around Europe at the moment and around the world. So uh, you just got to deal with it. Um, I didn't read the statement, but I heard about it. But look, I'm sure they're frustrated, but we were the same last week. Stephen Bradley in conversation with Stephen Doyle after Shamrock Rovers' 3-1 win over Scoopy of North Macedonia last night. It is 7.55, you're with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Let's tell you what's coming up over the course of the next couple of hours. We're going to be joined uh, by Michael Kennedy in just a moment of Lacrosse Ireland to tell us about a new event that's uh, coming to these shores next week, a big event, uh, one of the biggest in the, the sports history in this country starting next Wednesday. Sarah Donovan is going to look ahead to the Camogie final at 10 past 8 our quick picks on that final at half 8 and then David Herity will be reacting to the news that Kilkenny have a new hurling manager before 9 o'clock after 9 then uh, we're going to be chatting to Jason Bell the former NFL star and uh, hosted a NFL show on BBC and then the crappy quiz is coming your way at 10 past 9 so that's the plan over the course of the show this morning between now and 10 o'clock uh, right off the ball is going back to Vicker Street in association with Cabri FC we've got a massive road show coming your way on August 17th Michael Owen, Ian Wright, Emma Byrne and Karen Carney are going to be our guests. There should be some great stories in the night as four legends of the game reminisce about their careers and look ahead to the 22-23 season. It's an exclusive off-air event and tickets are limited, so don't delay. You can go to otbsports.com forward slash events and a reminder that ticket proceeds will go towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football. T's and C's apply and we will see you on the night. Right, we are uh, switching our attention to something completely different this morning because uh, we've got the CEO of Ireland Lacrosse, Michael Kennedy, on the line to talk about a World Lacrosse event that is happening in Limerick next week. Michael, thanks so many for taking the call. How are you getting on? Uh, good. Uh, very busy, as you might imagine, just in the leading uh, final couple of days before the event starts, but excited about it, of course. So this is the World Lacrosse Men's Under-21 Championship and World Festival. It's happening at the University of Limerick. It's starting next Wednesday. So uh, what's going on here? 
Uh, well, uh, it's like most world championships in other sports. It's a tournament every four years. Um, the last one was in 2016. Uh, so this event was actually supposed to happen in 2020. Um, it was also a U19 event, uh, but with the postponement due to COVID, um, they, meaning World Lacrosse, have upped the age level to U21, which meant the players who were eligible for the U19 team um, continue to be eligible and they won't have lost the opportunity to play for their country. So we're going to have 23 teams from all over the world, USA, Canada, Japan, Australia, Korea, China, uh, Hong Kong, uh, countries all over the world. Um, and then we're also having a World Festival tournament, which I think it has 16 teams now. Um, and that's kind of club teams um, all from all over the world that take part in the tournament alongside the World Championship. Where is lacrosse at in Ireland at the moment? I presume this is the biggest event of its kind for the sport in this country. Yeah, it's, it's still a, a small sport. They call minority sport in Ireland. We have teams at university level. We have a number of schools, programs. Obviously, it's all been um, you know put on pause really during the COVID uh, period. But this event is a great example to kind of re-kickstart um, our development activity to try to, as we say, grow the game. Um, so really focus at university level and at schools level. Um, but actually, most people don't know there's an amazing history of lacrosse in this country going as far back as 1872. Um, there was a team first uh, founded in Newton Ards uh, just outside Belfast. So um, there have been Irish lacrosse teams for over 100 years in Ireland, but um, again, we've never hosted a, a world championship event. So we're certainly hoping to use this to, to raise the profile of the sport here. And Michael, how did you get involved? Uh, well, I actually, uh, I grew up in New York um, and I played in New York, uh, but my mother's from Wexford. Um, I moved over here uh, to go to university. Actually, I went to UL, uh, so the University of Limerick, which just has amazing sports uh, facilities, um, has always been uh, close to my heart. So I'm really delighted to bring an event like this uh, back to Ireland. And, you know, our Irish national teams, we have five national teams, men's and women's underage seniors. Um, it's a bit like people like myself, you know, uh, the sport is very popular in the US and Canada. And we have people, you know, who are eligible to play for Ireland. And we combine those with uh, players we have domestically here. I was actually out in New York for a few years. And any time that we used to explain camogie or hurling to them, they would say, oh, is it like lacrosse? So I'm wondering, do you have maybe a lot of hurlers or camogie players that probably pick it up that bit easier? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I generally uh, describe the sport as kind of a combination of hurling or camogie and ice hockey because uh, it has the kind of added physicality of ice hockey. You can play behind the goal in lacrosse, a bit like you can skate behind the goal in ice hockey. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And what better place you could be to try to appeal to hurlers than in Limerick, um, especially after their um, All-Ireland uh, victory. So um, we're hoping to get the attention of, you know, the hurling community to come and watch the sport. But we absolutely do have players, you know, have, who have played camogie or hurling who have switched over to lacrosse. I think uh, Tiger Woods made the same remark to Grode Hegarty at the uh, <laughs> Pro-Am in Adair just a couple of weeks ago so hurling is it, is it like lacrosse so like what, what are the what are the numbers like playing the game at the moment in Ireland? 
Um, I'd say we're we're somewhere around kind of 300 or so, you know. So again, really, really small. But um, one thing I would say, and we're all volunteers, you know. I'm a volunteer. I've been uh, CEO of Ireland Lacrosse since 2009. Uh, I played for the Irish Lacrosse team over a 15-year period, you know. So it's tough uh, when you're all volunteer. It was tough during COVID, just like you know, it was tough for lots of people uh, during that time. So, uh, but World Lacrosse, the number one ambition for world lacrosse at the moment strategic plan is to get lacrosse into the olympics in la 2028 um, and they are on track to do that they're ticking all the boxes they're doing all the right things um, so what we're really hoping is if we can get the sports into the olympics that will really raise the profile that will enable us to fundraise potentially unlock funding from sport ireland and all that um, to really dedicate the the time and the staff needed to grow the game properly what was it like playing lacrosse for ireland is it uh, is it a regular situation where you're playing games often or, or how does it work from your uh, own time playing yeah um i mean amazing it was a, a life-changing event <laughs> for me so um and i i actually met my wife through lacrosse and we have two small boys so sometimes i joke that our youth it's kind of our youth production program uh <laughs> if you meet people through lacrosse and have children so um yeah it's been life-changing for me it's such an honor playing for for ireland and um you know it's it's uh it's it's difficult when you have players uh, not based all in the same place so what we would typically do is that teams would arrive say at the tournament venue a week or two before the tournament and have a very intensive training camp <clears throat> and then go and play in the tournament so actually just at the moment some of the 23 teams oh we uh, appear to have lost him for just a moment we'll uh, get back to that in just a second so uh, that's happening next week next Wednesday at the University of Limerick you can go to worldlax2022.com worldlax2022.com did you try your arm at lacrosse at all when you were in New York? No, never got the chance, no. But uh, I would have liked to, to try it out because people did say, oh, you probably would be good at it yeah. if you do play camogie. Um, so, yeah, I definitely would have liked it. But even the strength that goes into it, you know, watching it, you know, there's a serious strength that goes in. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're serious athletes. So it'll be good to see. Like, it, it's mad there's that many teams coming to Limerick, you know, and there's not much hype about it. So it's nice to hear a little bit more about it. Yeah, can you talk us through a little bit of that, Michael, actually, about some of the, the teams that are coming and, I guess, the, the standard that they would have had to get to to represent the teams that they're going to be playing with here? Uh, well, yeah, so as I mentioned, lacrosse is hugely popular in the US and Canada, um, you know, the U.S., I think uh, lacrosse has been reported as the fastest growing sport there. I think they have half a million uh, players. And one of the um, kind of byproducts of the fact that the tournament is now under 21 is that the U.S. team, for example, they will have played NCAA, uh, you know, which is the college athletic league in the U.S. Um, they have kind of two years of NCAA under their belts now. Um, and that's very high level uh, lacrosse. So the standard is going to be really high. Um, I should note uh, that's probably the star of the tournament, uh, one of the top US players. Um, his name is Brennan O'Neill. Um, so I must find out, you know, I feel bad that he didn't make the Irish team, but good that he had the chance to play for the USA. 
Right, okay. So Brennan O'Neill, somebody to... Uh, I'm just Googling him here. Uh, Duke Athletics, Brennan O'Neill, that's uh, his uh, alma mater, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's still there. Oh, yeah, still there. Sorry, Duke okay, University. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right, okay. So this is uh, something to keep an eye on over uh, the course of today. How, how can people uh, come along and get tickets, Michael? What's what's the story for people who, who are interested in, in popping in? So the we're selling day tickets. Uh, so uh, you can go to the event website, which is www.worldlax2022.com. And that has the tournament schedule. Um, and a link to buy tickets and uh, yeah we're really excited I, sh- I should also add um, one of the game of lacrosse originates with Native Americans um, they believe that they received the game from the creator and very uniquely they actually compete as a national team um, they used to be called the Iroquois um, but that's actually a French word for uh, their people and now they use the term Haudenosaunee uh, um, which is their native language. So the Haudenosaunee will be here competing as a national team against other countries in the world. And we've had a very special relationship with the Haudenosaunee um, and uh, we're really looking forward to having them here. And what I always say, they're, they're like what Brazil are to soccer. They don't always win, but they play to come and watch the originators of the game uh, playing it here in Ireland. Right, that's fascinating. Uh, Michael, you've been so good with your time. Thanks so much for coming on the show and explaining that to us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Cheers. That's uh, Michael Kennedy of Lacrosse Ireland and all that's happening at the University of Limerick next week. So you can hop onto the website there and check it out if you're in the area. Right, now to celebrate the Aer Lingus College Football Classic on Monday the 8th of August, join Team OTB in association with Visit Dublin. So this is next Monday. We're going to have Galway hero Shane Walsh and a host more of Gaelic football's best strikers and they're facing a whole new challenge. Taking to the pitch of St. Vincent's, they'll battle it out with an American football from the kicking tee before sitting down in the clubhouse for a live panel covering the season that was. This is an exclusive off-air event, so the only way to enjoy it is to be there on the day. You can register for free at otbsports.com forward slash events. We are back after the break with Cork Sarah O'Donovan in studio to look ahead to the All-Ireland Senior Camogie final this Sunday. But first, TJ Reid was on last night's Off the Ball and revealed how Brian Cody told the panel he was stepping away after 24 years in charge. What was the kind of process of him letting you know that he was stepping away? Because I guess we kind of saw reports in the media, uh, I think the weekend before, perhaps he announced that he was, he was going to step, uh, step away. And then in the wake of the football final, or heading up to the football final, sorry, he uh, obviously announced it. Was there kind of talk amongst yourselves that like he's been what twenty five years in the go? Like there's always a chance that this is going to be the last one. Was there talk amongst the panel that you know maybe he might go? And this might be the last one. Uh, did he give any hint himself in the wake of the All Ireland final, particularly that that he was going to walk away himself? No, um, nothing, nothing like that at all. Um, there was no mention of that um, this year whatsoever. Um, so it was only the the Tuesday, the Wednesday after the All Ireland, that uh, news kind of got around town that he was stepping, he was stepping down. So, and you know, as as being being an experienced player, that usually doesn't happen after the All Ireland final. So when I heard that, um, I was kind of expecting it to be announced the weekend there. So, um, but yeah, look, Brian just just he sent a message into our um, WhatsApp group to to um, to inform us, and then. 
Um, and then that was it. And then the, the announcement came on social media, and um, and you know it, 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 you know it just brings back memories of of how many years you had with Brian and how special he was. And you know all the pictures were being um, were being tributed around with Brian, and then you know it just brings back um, great memories of him. What was your instant reaction when you got that message in the WhatsApp group? Actually, you kind of had to look at it twice to, to, to see it because it was Brian Cody. He's there forever, and you you be thinking he's going to be there for the next fifteen years. And um, yeah, look, um, very, you know, I, as I said, I, I spent sixteen seasons with Brian. You know, he's been my manager for sixteen years, and um, yeah, you know, look, it's tough, it's emotionally. Yeah, um, you know, it's, you can't believe he's gone or. You know, I can't. I can't believe I I I lasted with you know with Brian Gordy. So I'm being very grateful to share the dressing room with him. And you know, he called me in as a, a young 18, 19 year old. So I owe I owe, I owe an awful lot to to Brian and and to and he gave me the opportunity to to wear the black and amber jersey. So look, I'm I I I, I owe a lot to to, to Brian Gordy. Um, and uh, look, he be he sadly missed next year. OTB. A.M. 11 minutes past 8, you're very welcome back to Friday's OTBAM. So Sunday is Camogie final day in Croker. It starts at 12 o'clock with the Premier Junior final, which is Armagh against Antrim. 2 o'clock then is Galway against Cork in the intermediate final. And then the big one, the senior final, is Cork against Kilkenny at a quarter past four. Uh, the game's all live on television as well. So it's a triple header at Croke Park on Sunday. Sarah O'Donovan is with us in studio. Sarah, how are you getting on? Good, good. Uh, Kilkenny Cork. Uh, it's safe to say this is a fairly familiar rivalry at this point it is and I can't separate them they beat each other the last two years in semi-finals they have a massive rivalry Galway were better than both of them obviously last year and this year Kilkenny were just I, I thought they were excellent in semi-final myself and Ashley were both at the game sitting sitting behind each other and uh, I really thought that Kilkenny looking at that game have more to offer than Cork yeah, that was my takeaway as well. Um, for Cork, I'd say they went away from that semi-final probably very disappointed how they performed, especially that first half. I think until Ashton Thompson came off the bench, I think it was 22 minutes gone, she sort of put a bit of shape to the whole thing. Um, the dynamic of the team sort of changed when she stepped on the pitch. Um, so I think they'll come away definitely disappointed, but I think that's not a bad way sometimes to go into an All-Ireland. That Almost that, that was quite low for them, so... You know they can only go up. They can. They didn't peak in the the semi final, which I always think is important not to peak when Kilkenny had a super game in the semi final. Yeah, look, they actually haven't peaked at all all year. They've mm. really struggled Cork all year to find their form, to find their team. They've had players coming in and out. You've obviously mentioned Ashton coming back in after twenty five minutes. Hannah Looney's come back in late as well. She was in New York, so she missed the whole of the league. They struggled against Dublin. Dublin went seven points up, and they managed to reel Dublin back in. Same with Waterford. Waterford went ahead. Waterford ran out of steam. Like. Waterford were 33 weeks on the clock playing out of Division 2 tried their best but didn't have that quality at the end you know it was like 53 minutes when Cork kind of took over Amy O'Connor got some points Katrina Mackey started showing up just it's going to be a better final for the fact that Cork and Kilkenny are in it because they they have more I suppose experience at that stage and, and Waterford just need a little bit more time and, and a little bit of a break between games as well because they had just done too much work. It feels like it's a constant three horse race in the sport at the moment but does the Waterford performance in the semi-final give you hope that actually this thing could be broken up this triumvirate could be broken up in the next couple of seasons? Yeah like the group with Cork, Dublin, Waterford, Clare, Tip, 
like that was a very uh, exciting group and it took the last games on the last day to decide who actually went through Tip were fierce unfortunate not to go through having beaten Cork finally mm. um, 117-116 it could have been any one of those teams that had gone through so on that side very very competitive so you'd be hoping that they'd get closer but you know looking at Dublin's contribution this year they trained 100 times and they were nearly 11 points worse off than Kilkenny you know like it, it takes a massive amount of effort it took Waterford five years to break the quarterfinal barrier it's it's a massive commitment for a group of players to decide to stay that long to try and take on those three horses yeah I think Waterford will go away from that game probably very disappointed you know, to be so far up at half time, they looked in control. But as you said, Sarah, it really was just those last maybe 15 minutes or so. And I suppose that comes with experience of being in Crow Park in an All Ireland semi final. But I definitely think they're a team that are one to watch for, for next year. The likes of Beckhart, and I thought she was exceptional from yeah. centre half forward. So they, they have really good players, even their bench coming on, you know, had an impact as well. But, uh, just, yeah, maybe that experience and just lost a, a bit of steam in the end, but uh, definitely one to watch. I think things are changing. You may see more teams involved, as you said, Tipperary as well. Yeah. Definitely a team that's up and coming. Well, look, I think Neve Rocket had been incredible for the whole of the campaign, and then she met Maeve Callahan, and Maeve Callahan had her in her pocket. She, she, she won ball, but she couldn't get past Maeve in the semi final, and they needed Rocket to hit. You know, two, three goals. Actually, Roisin Kerwin missed a sitter um, in the, in the first half for Waterford. She blew it over the bar. But you know, they probably needed just a turn like that, just to get them a little a little clearer. But I thought the Cork defence, while they struggled in the first half in the semi final, really pushed on in the second half and really got on top. Uh, you mentioned Maeve Cahalan there. I think it probably makes sense to get into some of the matchups you've picked up this week, uh, picked out this weekend. So we've picked out five of the, head, the heads that you're most looking forward to. So who's Cahalan going to mark? Katie Nolan. Uh, I thought Caden Nolan was excellent in the semi-final. Mm. I also thought she was excellent against Claire in the group phase as well. Lads, she's so good at stepping into pockets, stepping off her player and, and getting scores from ridiculous angles. She got a, an outrageous score against Galway. But she just loves to play off the shoulder. And when you have a forward like that who, who can make her run late enough for the back not to be able to, you know, obviously co- cover her off, she's definitely worth three or four points in the game. Maeve, what she did against Neve Rocket is what she's going to have to do against Katie Nolan if she if she gets to pick her up, um, and I think Maeve's well able for that man marking job. Okay, so that's uh, Kahala. You, you're giving her the edge in that one. I would suspend. I suspect. I'm giving her the edge, but I wonder will it be enough? Because then you look at Julia Malone, Mary O'Connell. They're players I haven't even mentioned in the in the head heads here. But they're the players. If Katie Nolan's covered off, Cork are going to have to try and cover off those players then as well. Uh, Miriam Walsh, who's going to pick her up? Miriam Walsh has been ferocious on the square and I thought she got the better Sarah Durvin uh, in the semi-final. I thought every time she went toe-to-toe with Sarah Durvin, she, she was actually getting past her and was more physical than her for the first time in years. Um, she's having to pick up Libby Coppinger. Well, Libby Coppinger is going to have to pick up Miriam Walsh. And Libby struggled in the first half for Cork the last day. Um, she wasn't as, as sharp as, as, as I thought she could be and I think that could be a, something that Miriam Walsh will actually um, take advantage of the question is will Kilkenny go route one will they be direct enough with Miriam early on how do they usually play look they have six potent forwards they they can score from from every angle so they're not shy but because Miriam has the physical and height advantage over Libya for the first 15 minutes I'd be pummeling that ball in top of Miriam yeah her hands are glue yeah, yeah she's very good under the high ball but she was quiet in the semi-final I thought 
I thought every time she took Sarah Durvin on, she caused havoc. And it was only actually if she had taken Sarah Durvin on another another yeah, step. Maybe Sarah quiet by her standards, yeah, because yeah, she has been riffing it up the, yeah. the whole season. Yeah. But yeah, a little bit quieter, which again, might peak come the, the final, you know. Well, look, Sarah Durvin is a phenomenal talent and she's a phenomenal fullback, but I, I, I probably thought there was a bit of naivety on Miriam's part in that she could have actually taken, her pa- taken past her and for Sarah to have to drag her back, get an early yellow, put her under pressure. That's probably the only... Uh, thing that I would have said Miriam could have done better in the semi-final Okay uh, on the flip side of things then Amy O'Connor is obviously going to be somebody that uh, they're going to have to keep a close eye on from a Kilkenny perspective so how do you see that one going? Oh, look there's a number of players who could pick her up but you know Grace Walsh is in at full back uh, you've Claire Fielding at centre back uh, you've Stephanie Fitzgerald um, sorry uh, Michelle Tien. there's loads of options there to, to pick her up from Kilkenny's point of view the last day what I liked about them was Galway were so direct that Kilkenny actually had to foul them to stop them from from getting towards goal. But they were all willing to pick up their yellow card and then the next player would step up and she'd take the free and she'd take the foul. Camogie players can be a bit naive sometimes and they're a bit shy to do that kind of work but Kilkenny aren't. Kilkenny are cynical. Oh, so cynical and I love it. It's brilliant. But from from Amy O'Connor's point of view, she's not going to enjoy her time inside in that uh, Kilkenny full back line. I think they're going to give her a tired time. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Grace Walsh could come out on her either. Um, I thought she was phenomenal. She's a phenomenal player. The way she reads the game. Like even if she's not fully involved, she's reading the game. She might even just get an interception, but she knows when to go and when to hold. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised either if she, she might come out on Amy. For sure. Yeah, well, look, Neve Hanafy was so direct the last day. Aoife Dunhu was so direct. And uh, Neve Kilkenny, early on, that first 20 minutes for Galway, they were just running at Kilkenny. And the girls were just coming out going, right, I'll take the foul. You take the yeah. foul. I'll take the foul. It's brilliant to watch. It's, you know, I suppose it's, it, it is very cynical, but that's the way you have to win those games like that. Uh, the next thing we want to look at is the, the midfield battle. So, um, obviously, Ashley Thompson starts this game. Mm. Oh. No question over that, right? No okay. no question. No question. And look, herself and Hannah, because of, uh, I suppose, the number of factors which you mentioned, Hannah being away, Ashley, obviously, the, the ban. Um, now, she didn't actually end up missing any games, ultimately. But still, there was a two-week period there where she thought she wasn't going to be playing in the semi-final. So... It, it had to mean that Cork obviously had to look at different options I think they've probably been much more settled for the last two weeks I thought that was the one area where Kilkenny struggled in the semi-final and they ended up having to bring Denise Gall back into midfield and push Katie Power up into the forwards to try and get kind of a bit of stability in midfield against Galway so I think that's the one area where Cork can actually punish Kilkenny because Ashling and Hannah are so good there um, I'd like to see Hannah go a little I suppose more a little more direct and and take more shots on. I thought against Waterford, she went to the 45 and Hannah of old would have popped the ball over the bar. Yeah. But she just hesitated and she looked for Katrina and she looked for a runner. So definitely, I think another two weeks of hurling and she'll be going right, you know, straight between the posts. Okay. So uh, who who do you give the edge to in, in that battle? Uh, I'm giving it to Cork. Okay. Uh, I think we've got our quick picks coming up a little bit later on. I may or may not have picked Kenny. I'm starting to feel less confident as these <laughs> battles go on. And the final one is... Um, Denise Gall and who's going to mark her like the context here obviously is what you just spoke about there that Gall may not actually be that close to goal if things aren't going their way she was everywhere but her you know half forward position for Kilkenny uh, two weeks ago I would say Laura Hayes will pick her up right now Laura Hayes loves coming forward a very dynamic forward and Gall hasn't scored from play in the last two games which is very un-Gaul like Mm. now she hit 111 for Kilkenny against Dublin um, from place balls but the last day 
she played all of her hurling in the half back line into midfield because that's where they needed her. So, you know, I, I think obviously she's a massive threat from from wing forward, but can they afford to keep her there if they don't have their midfield motoring? Okay, so and what? Do you, how do you see that playing out then? Say if she does play close enough to goal. Oh, she could hit 10 points. Yeah. <laughs> She's this, this like, is, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, the, that's her territory, yeah. The drought is actually something you would look at and say that's the reason why she could perform this weekend as to a trend. Yeah, like uh, Dublin decided to go, ma- go man for man on her, actually. Uh, my, I'm managing Nave Marnogues out in Port Marnock and Kira Buchanan, who's one of my uh, one of my crew, was marking Denise and uh, she was it was her debut thrown in for Dublin in a quarter final to mark Denise and, and kept her scoreless. Wow. Um, yeah, now had a torrid hour running around after her but managed to keep her scoreless and I suppose, you know, is that something that Cork would look at is putting somebody on her to shut her down for the, for the hour and, and keep her to place balls but the problem there is Julianne Malone scores four points in the semi-final Mary O'Connell scores uh, you've got Katie Power uh, some great scores and then Laura Murphy pops up for Kilkenny but 1-1 from wing back so which, whichever door you're shutting there's another door to open for Kilkenny and I, and I think they're just really well organised this year Like you talked there a moment ago about Kilkenny's street smarts and uh, their ability to, to like foul when, it, when, it needs <laughs> to, when it's required. <laughs> because I think what we had attached this Kilkenny team with for so long was the inability to get over the line, the, the lack of a winning instinct in a, in a final anyway. And obviously that changes in 2020. Is there still any hangover at all from, from all those final defeats or did they 2020 banish all those ghosts? I don't think there's any hangover. Okay. That's that, like, that core. different team anyway. Well, it's that core. Cork Galway Kilkenny trio like you are guaranteed popcorn and entertainment if you watch any one of those pairings play and it's you're talking millimetres centimetres like blocks hooks they're the differences in those games and it's just three incredible teams who play really well against each other and some team inevitably comes out on top you know like I think the mentality piece where we can't win a final is gone now because between them they've won since 2018 all Ireland's league finals and they've just been literally swapping over like you know you'll have it I'll have it they obviously don't want to give it to each other but that's how close it's been and they've all won you know they all have a sack of medals in their pocket I think as well the management like Brian Dowling the passion on the sideline from him at the semi-final was something else I thought it was brilliant to see and then I spoke to him after and you could really feel that from him and he was talking about the girls in the dressing room and what it means to them and I think that you know that that feeds into a team that atmosphere that buzz. So that's what I'm feeling from them. Um, so I think you know he's probably going to instill a hell of a lot in them for an All Ireland final, not to let it pass them as well. So I think that side of things. But look, yeah, you do have Davy Fitz and Matthew on the other hand, you know, in the other dressing room that are brilliant as well. But I think it's it's fascinating watching the two managements on the sideline this year as well. Yeah, Davy's been ruthless. Like if, if mm. we're being honest, like you know what I mean. He he's. I suppose he hasn't gone with the idea that if you're training all year you should be playing like you know it's foreign players are in and he's had to make some tough calls matches had to make some tough calls there there was players around the Cork set up from say November December and then you had better hurlers coming back in and becoming available and they were out and they why were was in. that was it just because they were off after a long campaign last year or, or why did they come in later yeah like uh, speaking about Hannah Hannah was obviously in New York but you know th- there's been I suppose different players that they've brought in on form um, Sarah Carton's come in from uh, down um, she came from she's actually working in Cork yeah. I think she's working for, uh, for a company in, in Carrie Tool she you know she's 
I, I anticipate she'll play full forward on on, sund- on Sunday. What and a get for them! Yeah, wow. Yeah, and look, you know, you know, it's that non-traditional element. It's you know, she's available to us. She's she's mm-hmm. coming in. We're we're looking for a, a scoring threat. You know, there there's no um, there's no shyness about the lads making these big decisions. And and there's players around that Cork team for years who would have probably said, oh, you know, surely it's my turn now. And the lads are like, no. It's a bit of a high wire act, is it? Like, it obviously seems to have paid off, and especially if they win on Sunday. But there is kind of that balance between team morale and and the rest of it, isn't there? Like, I know you have to be ruthless and, and play the best hurler, but if, if there was like players who who've been there all season long or all throughout preseason, and they're not not that they're not going to get fair crack at a whip, but you you might put a nose out of joint here or there by approaching it in that manner. But I don't think David Fitz has ever been afraid of that. No, it doesn't. And look, David Herity before him, like we, I was. Um, under David Herity in 2017 and, and Dave again was another guy not afraid to to make calls based on looking at players and looking at their skill set and, and deciding if they were able for it didn't care if you were training for 20 weeks or 3 if you were good enough you were in right. and at that level at that senior level I think I think everything else goes out the window yeah it's just rootless it's rootless I think it has to be that way too yeah. but it is tough for the girls that are on the sideline looking in maybe not even making you know the match day panel like that's very very tough but um, yeah, I think in inter county it's absolutely fruitless. Well, look, look if you look at the core teams over the years and and the dual teams, the dual players that would have been with Cork when Cork were winning the ladies' football and the Camogie and you the likes of Rena Buckley and Bridge Corkery and Angela Walsh and you know these were players who were probably doing one session a week with the Camogie, one session with the football yeah. and, and one at the weekend. It physically wasn't possible for those girls to train, you know, on yeah. consecutive days. So. But but yet they were the best players and everybody wanted the best players on the pitch and every, you just have to suck it up, lads. That's absolutely fair enough. Uh, like One other thing I wanted to ask you about is Claire Phelan was speaking this week about, I, I guess Brian Cody just being such a talking point for everybody who's uh, picked up a hurl. Uh, everybody's getting asked about it. So the Kilkenny Camogie team were naturally asked about it and she said just during that era of the 2000s, seeing Kilkenny in an All-Ireland every year, just all the boys and girls just got associated with the idea of winning. They just thought every single year winning, winning, winning. Is that that, that actually has a, a, a significant impact on the, the culture that we're seeing now from Kilkenny do you think or is that a little bit of a leap? No I, I think the the players who come in to play for Kilkenny have a, have a brilliant spirit and their work ethic the the standard that they like their foundation standard compared to other inter-county teams that I've come across is pulls apart you know the, their expectation their commitment level it, it, it all stems from I suppose that conversation that has been I'd say constantly in Kilkenny houses over the years where it's like did you see how hard he worked did you see you know what he gave to the team and the expectation is if you wear a Kilkenny jersey or certainly it seems to me is unless you give that level of commitment and and that level of of work ethic you'll never be the hurler that X was or Y was and you know from a Camogie point of view the likes of Van Dalton the Downies there you know there's a myriad of, of Kilkenny Camogie players who who were exceptional and Claire has all of those to look up to as well but Anne would be my favourite always and ever Who's going to win? On Sunday Yeah Based on the semi-final I, I couldn't look past Kilkenny but this Cork team haven't found form yet this year and could potentially for the fact that they robbed Kilkenny in 2018 you know last gasp score this was the only difference this year is the quality from the Cork set up like, trying to replace Jim O'Connor Orla Cotter Julia White Orla Cronin these are all players that have gone away since uh, Pamela Mackey all players that have gone away since 2018 I'm 
my heart says Cork, <laughs> but my head, based on on what we saw last two weeks ago, is, it, it, I think Kilkenny have more work done, okay. and they're better organised. I think their favourites as well, just about going into Sunday. Just one comment coming in here from Conor Delaney. Uh, Sarah, why is the black card not in Camogie? Some of the fouling in the semi-final warranted black cards. It's something that they'll probably have to look at. Um, I, I think the yellow card is the most... I suppose the yellow card is something that they've that they kind of organised now and they've brought in that physicality to Camogie uh, and allowed a bit of physicality so the referees are still trying to find that balance between allowing that shoulder or allowing that kind of say that extra bit of physicality when you're when you're coming into tackle the black card they've just avoided it lads it's it's something that we haven't seen yet the sin bin is obviously into ladies football and it allows that cynical late foul but no, we've we, we've avoided it. I think it's brilliant the way there's a bit more physicality in Camogie. I think it's something that the ladies' football, just when we're mentioning it, is crying out for because the yellow card in ladies' football is can kill the game yes. at times. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm delighted they, do, they don't. Yeah, that it's not in the Camogie because it does allow that more physicality. You know, and you need that in Camogie. Yeah. You know, you really do. You're going in for a tackle. There's going to be contact. So you need to be able to be that bit more physical. So, yeah, hopefully you see it in the ladies game too. Yeah, we're glad the black card isn't in, evidently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is the, that commenter is obviously talking about Kilkenny in the semi-final, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, you know, Galway will feel aggrieved. They've made three runs at goal in the first half that were odds on odds on goals but for Michelle Tien having to literally ransack <laughs> her player she literally rugby tackled her to the ground um, and I think um, there was another one late on uh, as well in the second half that Kilkenny just had to get had to get it done and, and make sure they didn't get to goal yeah. and uh, until that's taken out of the game then you know that's that's yeah, that's a bit of the street smarts again. Yeah, that you're just going to have to train your team to do that. Yeah, you know, you've six you've six backs who could potentially foul six times and still stay on the field. Yeah, that's what's going to happen on Sunday, and that's yeah. why I think Kenny are going to win. Very <laughs> quick word before we let you go, uh, Derek Ling may, may not have been the most uh, high-profile name that was in the hat when it came to the public conversations around Kilkenny, but they've acted quickly, and he's in there. Uh, do you know much about Derek Ling? Is there a situation here where we could see Brian Cody 2.0, given he has worked under him? It's an interesting one because they, I suppose, from the kind of public perception, it was. The options included Henry Shefflin, Eddie Brennan, um, DJ Carey. You know all all people who've been involved in management in the last couple of years. But Kilkenny, as Kilkenny are quite conservative, and and they've gone with somebody who knows the players, who's obviously involved with the under twenty one, under twenty setup, and uh, had success there, and is now coming into the senior setup with with a group of players from say minors and twenties and twenty ones who trust him. So I think it's a very good appointment. Yeah, and I think also the, the the speed at which they've acted as well probably helps with club action obviously getting up and running everywhere uh, at the moment. Sarah, enjoy the weekend. I think it's you two were on uh, yeah, analysis and uh, live reports on Sunday as well. So mm-hmm. uh, enjoy that. We'll chat to you then. We'll hear from Sarah as well throughout the show on Sunday afternoon. Right, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Up next, we're doing our quick picks on that All-Ireland final. And before that, here's none other than Roy Keane speaking to Joe yesterday ahead of the new Premier League season about the reception he received from the stadium after he appeared on the big screen at Croke Park when his beloved Cork played Dublin earlier this year. You can catch the full exclusive interview with the Cork icon from 7 o'clock this evening on Off the Ball. We're back after this with the quick picks.
The nature of the summer months, you disappear from our TV screens and then uh, you pop up occasionally at the odd sporting event. Cork Dublin, you suddenly popped up on the screen there, got a nice reception from the Dublin fans. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, um, no, I got a, obviously the, the beauty with the break. I obviously got back to Ireland quite a bit, got to a couple of GA matches, a couple of um, obviously soccer matches. Um, obviously disappointed at Croke Park and not with the booing uh, with the results <laughs> obviously getting well beaten but it was a good day out and I was well looked after so um, good. I, can, I can survive the, the few boos don't worry the camera just pulled away as you were about to you were either giving them a wave or something else but we didn't we, we'll never quite know do you know what I was doing I'd lost the best and I know there was still plenty of time left in the game but obviously Cork were never coming back so I was just about to hand over the few bob that I'd lost there you go. That's what I was doing. How often do you get home? Um, no, I'd be home I'd probably on average. I'd definitely get back every probably every three weeks maybe for a few days. Yeah. Wow, okay. So still very attached, still love coming home. Uh, yeah, there's obviously always reasons to get back. And um, so I'm very lucky, with, I suppose, with the work I do. I've got a bit of freedom and I can kind of duck and dive and go back to Ireland when I please, which is quite regular. Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. You're welcome back. This is the Quick Picks on OTBAM. Do we have a leaderboard? I sure as hell hope not. No, we don't, says Colin. He's shaking his head in, <laughs> in uh, the box. Thank God for that. Uh, I think this could be my last ever Quick Picks. I'm going to be booted off ruthlessly after a truly appalling season, which I now believe... Did me, Did Adrian go for me last week in the ladies? Do you remember? Um, yes. He did. He did. He so did, that means yeah. I'm officially bottom of the table oh, yes, and you were the only facing one. relegation. Um, yeah. Well, we need to see the top of the table. Goodbye, Quick Picks. controversy around the top of the table only. there's been a controversial mathematical inaccuracy in the leaderboard so we're not showing it it says on my document oh the okay less about that, that. that's hope for me the better um, let's have a look at this weekend's predictions for the All-Ireland oh wow we've got a clean sweep for Kilkenny here uh, everybody going against Cork Column in the box is shaking his head uh, Ashling, why Kilkenny <laughs> um, going off the semi-final so both semi-finals I was there in the day and I felt there was almost a, maybe a little bit of a standard difference as well in the games. And Cork, I think they were just a bit all over the place. I was saying it there to Sarah. Um, it took them a while to get going, to really find their form. And it was when Ashing Thompson really came on that she settled things down. She sort of sat deep and she sort of sprayed the balls in. They started to find a bit of form that way and they started to get their scores. But uh, overall, I was just so impressed with Kilkenny. Um, I think Grace Walsh, I mentioned her already in full back. She's such an experienced player at this stage and she's still so young, but so experienced and you can really see it. Like She dictates what goes on in that back line. And yeah, she, she was just brilliant. Um, even speaking to Brian Dalen after the game, you know, he spoke about how Grace spoke in the dressing room before they went out and it was hairs on the back of your neck stuff, right. the, the way she spoke. And yeah, you can really see it in her game. You know, she, she's, she's... She's their leader. She She looks like their leader she really does um, so if she has the, the game that she had in the semi-final again um, a lot of the girls Miriam Walsh I don't think she showed up really at all in the semi-final if I'm being honest so she's due probably a big performance she's been playing brilliant stuff all year so maybe the, the, the All-Ireland final will, will be where we really see her come alive again um, yeah and I just think over, all around the field we mentioned the midfield area that's probably an area Sarah's dead right that uh, 
it, c- it could come down to. But uh, yeah, o- just o- all around the field, who's more organised? I would go with Kilkenny at the moment. The, the standard of semi-final is, I think, a very uh, valid argument when it comes to previewing an All-Ireland final, especially if you look at this year and the three All-Irelands that we've seen so far. If you go back to the last weekend, Meath really had to battle through their semi-final compared to Kerry. The, the previous week, you could say Kerry Dublin was much more of a war all the way down the home stretch in the men's football semi-finals then Galway against Derry and then Limerick-Galway was an absolute war as well all the way home in the hurling so maybe this is something we can really read into Will the, the flip side of all of that is is that Cork had to dig very deep in their semi-final against Waterford so so why have you leaned towards Kilkenny? Um, I think based on the fact that Kilkenny have been very impressive in their last two fixtures they absolutely blew Dublin away in the quarterfinal at Semple Stadium won that game by double digits and then went on to beat uh, the reigning All-Ireland champions very impressively in the second of the semi-finals in Crow Park a couple of weeks ago. While it's hard to track Cork's form, to be honest. I mean, in that Waterford game, they played very poorly before Ashton Thompson came in about a quarter into the game. And then, particularly in the second half, they absolutely dominated. They outscored them, I think, by 12 points to three after Waterford had had a good run within the game. So Cork won quite comfortably. But their last game in the group stages, they changed the team around a little bit because they were already qualified for a semi-final, lost their last game in the group. That was a group that was absolutely wide open. So Cork played well and their better form was probably seen a lot longer ago than Kilkenny. Then you look at the fact that Kilkenny have got I think the best forward unit in the country in Camogie right now. Uh, they've got six scoring forwards who are all available to them for this weekend at Crow Park. They've got definitely a physical edge to their game, which Sarah Donovan was talking about a little bit earlier. They will not mind being cynical if they have to be to try and stop Cork's running game coming through. And Cork will probably have to do something a little bit different if they're to beat Kilkenny, but they will lean back on the fact that they won when the teams met in the semi-finals of the championship last year, while Kilkenny beat them en route to winning the All-Ireland back in 2020. So um, it's an intriguing battle but I think based on what we've seen from the teams you know particularly in recent times over the last month or so and I think recent form is quite important when it comes to you know preparations for a final I think there's only one side you'd really pick based on the way they've played over the last couple of games and that would be Kilkenny Um, Kilkenny have done nothing wrong at the knockout stage of the championship and really I think they've probably timed their year quite well even coming out of the league they've played very impressively uh, throughout the Leinster championship then they went on to have a draw against Galway I don't think they really minded having an extra game as it worked out in the quarterfinals of the championship and then obviously won the last uh, game in the semi-final there against the reigning champions so there's a lot I think to like about what we've seen from Kilkenny this summer so I have to tip them based on that Can you give us a margin of victory Ashling? I do think it'll be a close game it depends what type of Cork team do show up um, we were talking about the semi-finals there and I I suppose there's two arguments to that whether you know they didn't peak at all they didn't show up you know that's almost fire in your belly to come out and go right you know we want to put up a performance here and then Kilkenny had a great performance so uh, you know there, there's that argument to both of the, those things but uh, I think I suppose it's going to be a close game I think Kilkenny will edge probably by four or five. Four or five in the end, so they might put away at the end. I think. Okay, <laughs> very good. Uh, last week we mentioned it there at the top. I presume everybody went for Meath, and I was the only uh, yes, you person went for. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Not that you remember or anything like that. Not that you've like <laughs> filed that down under loyal. new enemy. Um, like, I mean, were you worried at all after the first five, six minutes? How, how long was it that the one two was scored? And probably fewer minutes than that was it. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, Louise Nimara Hertig with that goal. Um, did you think it was a goal? Did you think she made, like? Did you think she she meant to do it? Yeah. Actually, you do. Yeah. What do you think, Will? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I give her so the benefit the way she's been, you know, 
basically shooting the lights out all year and she's such a talented player yes I will say that she meant to do it and I actually like I had no dog in the fight last weekend but I thought just from a neutral point of view the fact that there were seven minutes on the board and Kerry were leading by one two to no score was perfectly set up because you're like is there going to be a response in Mead now and that Mead defence we're talking to Anthony Miles about it on Tuesday's show it's just so so impressive like after the 35th minute particularly Kerry were snuffed out of the game by Mead and then when Kerry tried to commit numbers towards the end Mead had the counter-attacking ability which we know that they have but once the space is opened they were clinical at the other end and like they're running a movement within their forwards quite aside from how good they are defensively is just so so impressive and I kind of hope that this Mead team are able to keep their players around who are going to Australia like the expanding AFLW season and the fact that the wages for AFLW are likely to expand over the next couple of years as well is probably going to make it very difficult for this Mead team to stay around but it's exciting to see if we're going to have another dynasty it's like when Dublin made the breakthrough a few years ago after all of their heartbreak and finals and then they went on a run and became the best team in the country there's a feeling that this Mead team could add plenty of Brendan Martins onto what they've already done that, that would be yeah. like extraordinary though that would be like in a level even greater than Dublin even if they had won one or two All-Irelands fewer you would have thought because of the fact that you just said there well the AFLW aspect so like it is going to disrupt them over the next few seasons and if they manage to win more All-Irelands despite the disruption I think that's one of the most impressive features we've seen yeah it really would be it feels a little bit different you know even speaking to to Eamon after the game you know it it feels like it's ending you know that that was the sense I got from him when you know there's so many girls there on on the sideline and that like that can come on and have an impact but I think just for the management that you know there's some of them are stepping away as well so it does feel like this road that they've been on since 2017 you know that you know, they two All-Ireland, they're three All-Irelands now, but they've been on the road since 2017 and trying to get things together. They had some really, you know, hard times They and now they've had the highs and it feels like some of them need a break or they're moving on to new things. And yeah, um, if, but it was brilliant to, to see them get the win. Like just as as Will said, even though the goal went in early from Louise Nimara Hurt, they, they never panic. And that's something I spoke to Moira Shocknessy about afterwards because they've been in this situation time and time again. And they've always came back from, you know, being down at half time and they still grind out that win. You can never ride a a mead team off. And yeah, they were just so impressive. Like their fitness levels must be through the roof. Like I would love to see some of the stats. Um, I've seen a few of them like quoted in the paper after, but like I'd love to be able to see like what exactly they ran, what speeds they were at, because the likes of Avian Cleary, was absolutely immense from halfback and she's a name that supposedly is, is going travelling Emma Troy is another name as well that's going so yeah it's 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 such a weird one because you know that they could go on and do a, a three in a row they're so young but uh, obviously they want to take these opportunities when they come and they want to you know do do these things in life where you know when they get the chance so you could never you know discourage them from that either like it could be interesting next year like as Sarah was just talking about with regards to the Cork Camogie team that Davy was pretty ruthless if you're the best hurler in a position you're getting into the team like could we be sitting here in March, April being like Vicky Wall's going to do two training sessions and just play for just a championship I even though so. everybody else has been training all, all year like could we be sitting there saying that a few of those players could be doing that because like you probably give a few of those players a free pass if that's what they want to do Yeah and I think the way this Mead team are they're so close knit even all the the subs, the panel, they're so close-knit. It wouldn't break them. It wouldn't break them. I think they will be delighted to see Vicky Wall coming back. 
you know that's the the buzz and the I suppose anytime I spoke to them that's what you get from them that they're all such good friends off the pitch like Emma Duggan has spoke about you have to be close off the pitch in order to be close on the pitch and you can really feel that like they have such strong bonds and even the the panel girls that are there as well like they know what their job is sort of thing you know yes they're pushing for places but they're okay with being the the girls that are sort of pushing everything on they they're needed there you know they're a major part of all of this so I feel that uh, they've got that right which can be hard in a team to sort of strike the right balance between that because sometimes you can have that feeding into a team you know if there's negativity with girls not starting or whatever but you just don't feel that really with this team so I think yeah as you said if Vicky comes back if Orla Lally walks back in April, May they'd be absolutely delighted Can they win in Ireland without them? It'd be tough because it, it, it's such a tough championship to win um, it really would be very tough because we're talking about girls that are they are pff, you know, superstar players like Vicky Wall is, you know, she's really the name now of the LGFA. So we're talking about these type of players. She changes games and they've been so close in games, especially against Galway. I thought that was a, a really um, a, a brilliant game to see and Galway were there, thereabouts. They'll be disappointed with that, but uh, it'd be very tough to do that, I think. Was that, was that possible what you were suggesting earlier, Will? Was that they have every chance of being a strong contender without them or, or, or what's your thought? No, I, I think they particularly need Vicky Wall around. Like okay. she's the X factor in that team because even when she was being occupied this year and perhaps marked a little bit more tightly, even the last season, it created space for the players around her. She's just so important. And when you see her breaking tackles, and even you see like the booing that happened after she received a sin bin for what was deemed to be a frontal charge last weekend, I think people just enjoy watching her using her physicality. I think circumstance might help with Vicky Wall a little bit too because unlike some of the players who've gone to the AFLW and stayed in Australia for an extended period of time their clubs have sorted them out with work which has kept them in Australia year round in Vicky Wall's case as I understand it she's going to continue her studies in Australia from her course in DCU where she's doing marketing right now so she's going to be more tied down by the college term as opposed to say you know potentially going into work with the club and staying there all year and not coming back to play for Mead and she's got some existing sponsorships here in Ireland as well so I think there's a very good chance that Vicky Wall will come back the problem is that as the AFLW season expands it's going to overlap more and more with the ladies football season should the ladies football season stay exactly where it is now like their season is going to come a lot closer to the men's AFLW or AFL season I should say which will go right towards the end of the summer there was almost a sweet spot before where players could come back to Ireland kind of late May June depending when they're knocked out that's probably not going to be the case. And again, you wonder whether you'll probably do it for a star player like Vicky Wall, but maybe at some point there might be a Mayo-like decision where it goes, okay, you're either committed to playing ladies football for the full season or you're going to play AFLW. And you know, Mayo have lost half a dozen players yeah. as a result of that, but they felt that was the right decision at the time. Yeah, it hasn't exactly worked out in terms of results, but who knows, it may be a more sustainable approach as well. Will, Ashlyn, great stuff. That is this week's Quick Picks. I have unbelievable time from, but there are great points, but it's not acceptable. Now, off the ball is going back to Vicker Street in association with Cabri FC. We've got a massive roadshow coming your way on August the 17th. Mike Lone, Ian Wright, Emma Byrne and Karen Carney are going to be our guests on the night. There should be some great stories as four legends of the game reminisce about their careers and preview the 2022-23 season. It's an exclusive off-air event and tickets are limited, so don't delay. Go to otbsports.com forward slash events and a reminder that ticket proceeds will go towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football. T's and C's apply. 
we shall see you on the night. Right, we're joined on the line now by uh, former Kilkenny goalkeeper David Herity to react to the news that Derek Ling is the Brian Cody successor officially. David, how are you getting on? Good, and yourself, how are you keeping? Yeah, good. Uh, Derek Ling, talk to us uh, about Derek. What sort of uh, approach will he bring to proceedings and, and will he be Cody 2.0? Will he try and do things the way Brian Cody did things or, or will he try and shake things up next season? No, he, Derek would be nothing like Brian. He's, um, I suppose, you know, I suppose one of the reasons why he would have been picked to, to, to start off why he was going in as a selector back in brought in in 14 and 15 where they, we straight away won two All-Irelands with, with Derek brought in, James McGarry brought in. Derek was always seen as one of those lads in the dressing room that Brian approached before a, a match and gave a kind of a dig to and kind of went, right, get these lads going. He was that kind of a lad along with a Noel Hickey possibly or uh, I suppose Henry, um, those kind of lads that uh, he would have always be, he would have always approached. He would have, I suppose he would have ticked a few boxes there when it came to what Brian Cody would have looked for in a in a player and a leader and that was he had a you know an incredible aggression when he was on the field he was he was a phenomenal player he was that kind of workhorse but he was able to just break through tackles he was I suppose he led the way for the likes of a Michael Fenley who came after him he was that much of a leader but he was also an extremely sound man he was level-headed he wasn't um he wasn't in the middle of the crack, I suppose, Derek. He wasn't starting the crack, but then again, he was well able to contribute to it as well. He was a good lad. He had a good temperament that way as well. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I don't see Derek is not someone who'd be kind of caught up on Twitter and stuff like that. I know that kind of sounds a bit ridiculous now, but those those are the kind of lads, those kind of level-headed lads that Brian would have always kind of looked out for. James McGarry would have been on the same kind of vein as well. Um, and it wasn't any surprising when he brought in Derek he had huge time for him he'd always mention him in meetings um, and then when Derek kind of came in he was he was slightly the kind of yin to the yang of, of what you know it was kind of James McGarry and Brian Cody would be similar enough in personality in their standoffish kind of I suppose they wouldn't show a massive amount of emotion towards or, or talk to players in that kind of sense but Derek Ling would have been the, the more friendlier type um, lad that you could have had a, a small chat to um, in the dressing room kind of in my, my last year in 14 and even kind of when he was playing as well so I, I can see him as being a, a, a look at a, a, a very good man manager you see him after the, the matches there with the under 20s as well he seems to have a great relationship with these players as well it's built up he's a huge amount of knowledge over the last few years because he has three years with the under 20s he knows anyone now that's 17, 18, 19, 20 and then he'll know the last few years of 21, 22 year olds there in the county so it's a it's going to be brilliant. There's, a, there's a, a huge sense of kind of, I suppose, relief that someone's in there, but also that kind of the freshness that he's going to bring to the whole thing. So was Ling the good cop to Cody's bad cop at times? I don't think he was any kind of a, there was never a Derek could pick you up after something that Brian said. He, he stayed in the background because he, he knew in 14 as well, he was very young to the whole thing. He, he was, he was still only after retiring in 2010, it's only four years previous. So you kind of, he was only learning and only kind of making his way when it came to the whole senior inter-county management side of things. But still, at the same time, it's nice. <laughs> Look, when you walk into a dressing room and you say hello to someone, someone says hello back to you, it's nice. Like it's uh, the small little things. When you see someone with a smile on their face and that they're, or they're willing to say hello to you, first of all, or, or just even kind of talk to you after a match on a kind of a human level, it's uh, sometimes that's nice as well to have that in the dressing room. So you feel that's a really important role in management. Obviously, was there times that didn't happen for you, David? 
Ah, look, it didn't happen for anyone. You know, you know, everyone knows that that it's it it just wasn't something that Brian would do, or or you know, even James McGarry, who kind of would have would have been quite distant. I, I would have always found when he was in on the on the senior panel that he would have been nearly that bridge between management and players. He was kind of he, he found himself in that kind of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for between heaven and purgatory between heaven and hell. He was kind of that little area there where James McGarry would be. He wasn't really with the players and he wasn't really with the management, but you knew he was always going to go into it. But Derek is a he's he's a good lad. He's not afraid to show his emotions. You can, as I said, you see him after matches and he's high fiving the management and he's hugging players and so on. And um, I'm not saying. That he, he has a good, good, very good personality. If you're going to chat to him at any stage, Derek would have a brilliant chat with you. He's just a, a, a good lad. And I think, uh, as I said, there's a bit of relief when, you know, even throughout the whole week there, you had, uh, Jesus, the WhatsApps were absolutely hopping. Like it was, it was head wrecking because every few seconds it was like Martin Fogarty's now in with Michael Fenley. No, the Fenley's in there. No, James McGarry's just after getting word and he's putting the backroom team together. Like in the space of a day, there could have been four different managers. It kind of whittled itself down. You know, when Henry was back at club matches last weekend, you knew Derek Ling was the was the best choice. It was kind of between the two of those when Brian announced his retirement. So for Derek to actually be now ratified and now awaiting the rest of the selectors, I think there there is a huge relief. And there's gonna this is gonna bring a whole freshness to every single player within the county. Anyone who thought that they were outside of I suppose Brian's circle. Um, Brian didn't like them, but a few you know, a few lads that might have been cast away over the last few years or didn't come into didn't come into the panel or or felt they weren't going to get a run um or else did come in and and went away then again you know this opens it massively wide open again for this whole club championship for a lot of these lads to come back into the fold really interesting what what, what sort of style of play does do, do we expect to see from from Derek Ling I think it's I think it's kind of hard to know when an under 20 manager is going to come into a setup because you know the the first two years you know Galway gave him gave them a nice beating and you know at under 20 grade it's very difficult especially now that it's gone to under 20 because you have lads for the first four if you if you all go back in November you have November, December, January, February that these lads are involved in freshers or they're involved in some way in Fitzgibbon so you get very little time with them even the first two years sure, God, he, he had barely had enough time to train them because of COVID so then you have the leave insert side of things as well so you under 20 grade is very much like anyone knows it's kind of you nearly go out and you just hurl and to make the best uh, player best team win and that's why the under 20 grade is as good as it is because it kind of lacks that small that that reliance on so much tactics having said that people would have noticed that last year in the under 20 final against Limerick even when things weren't going well at different stages they were still playing the ball through the lines even the last couple of scores that they got were brilliant play playing them out heads up hurling there was I suppose what the, the senior team were lacking for a few years there that ability to be able to play the ball through the line the heads up hurling um, I'd imagine if Derek gets a good run at it that's exactly what uh, you know. that's how he'll play but having a defined knowing straight away what system he plays it's very difficult after looking at the last three years especially when COVID was so uh, so prominent in the first two years but his coach now is going to be that's going to be the big thing because anyone you're bringing in has to go up against Canark in Limerick that's the kind of the genius that you're going up against uh, I'm not too sure is Michael Rice or Peter Barry or Peter Dunham they were with him at under 20 grade they haven't been confirmed yet but that's I suppose the big thing that, that Derek will have to do first of all is try and nail down a management does he bring back Jerry Fitzpatrick the psychologist or Mickey Comerford there in SNC. It's really important that he doesn't let 
some of that expertise that was there for the last four years and um, just slip out the door because that's the that's probably the the nail in the coffin for a lot of new managers is when they kind of come in and they just clean shop and they bring in the whole new management team and all that expertise has been lost, especially on the, the personal level, the strength and conditioning, the psychologist, even Quiva, the nutritionist, all that information to let that go out the door. Then you're starting back at square one. If you look at Derry Egan there this year, he kept on to Niall Corker and as coach, he kept on to Graham Byrne, a strength and conditioning coach. So he kept on to that last year with Davy Fitz's team. He kept on to that. So, it's important that Derek um, probably makes a few phone calls down that road as well. And do you feel like there's a buzz in Kilkenny at the minute? Obviously what Brian done was was phenomenal, but do you feel like there was a need maybe for a bit of freshness in there? Oh, there had to be, yeah. No, there had to be. Uh, it's still seven years. We're heading into eight the next year without an All-Ireland. It's, it's time for just that bit of freshness. And like I said earlier on there, that... Uh, there's players out there, just just even on a simple level. Um, last weekend, you know, it's a match that I just happened to see. It's Ben Spridge versus um, Dixborough in the club championship out in Clara. And uh, you look at someone like Liam Blanchfield or, or Bill Sheen, just two random players that just happen to be playing on opposite ends of the field. Two lads that came in with Brian, two young lads that kind of have stepped away or, or been asked to step away over the last few years. But just, I, I'd even imagine that, you know, lads like that, that's, big strong physical lads or lads with speed that they're kind of going Jesus there's a chance here now if I if I impress here in the club championship I'm still young enough I'm in my mid-20s there's a chance I could come back in again I'm like I'm even excited the fact that does Colin Fenley come back into the equation that could be a completely left field thing but like he stepped away two years ago he didn't announce a retirement he just kind of said he was stopping for a while but someone of his physical nature of, of six foot Christ, he's about six foot three the size of him I saw a video of him there in America during the summer of him banging in goals I'm sure he'll be back to try and impress in that club championship and I'm sure Derek will make that phone call as well I know he wants to go obviously with the youth and the under-20s that is coming through but that's two or three years for these under-20s to start coming up or three or four years for them to really start hitting that senior level to be matching the likes of of the Limerick lads um, so even the, someone to have the likes of a Colin Fell even come back for a year and bring these lads on and show them the standard um, you know that's also the big thing Wally Welch Richie Hogan Connor, mm. Connor Fogarty Killian Buckley what happens there there's a lot of questions um, conversations that Derek has to have but he'd be a good man to have it and have an open conversation with a lot of these lads as well so uh, I'm sure they're buzzing as well some of the older lads think that they might get an extra year then just under a new manager with, a, with I suppose a fresh set of eyes looking at them yeah, that's such an exciting part of it all, I think, that there's lads out there now that are saying to themselves, there's a chance here, you know, to not give up hope because any manager can play a different style and mightn't suit them, they mightn't take a liking to them, all of these things. So it's exciting that way that there could be new lads to be able yeah. to see for Kilkenny. And that's and that's it. And it, it does go down to what style of play that he's using. Again, like if we were just to go back even 10 years ago, the likes of a chap Fitzpatrick, who was brilliant when, you know, he was that kind of extra player in around midfield. But then at the age of 25, I suppose, the game was moving on a bit more physical and it was a case of Cha was just, you know, pushed aside. But like the, someone with the likes of Cha's skill, you can always find someone with his... If you have that level of skill and, and experience, you can find uh, some area on the team from. But I'm sure then, you know, I, I'm saying like even club-wise there, there's a lot of lads out there. Christ, I can even think of the likes of Michael Cody that's from my own club as well that I would have seen as as a phenomenal talent at underage level but just hasn't made it over the last few years. He's back with the club now as well. But I just think 
I just think there's going to be huge excitement there to see what the panel is. And I'm sure he'll get together a, a panel of about 50 in the off-season there um, and then start whittling it down. But just, uh, I, I think there's a lot of lads waking up very, very happy there this morning. It's interesting now that we've arrived at this moment because a couple of years ago, it seemed like the most glamorous conversation you could have in hurling. Who is going to succeed? Brian Cody. Is it going to be DJ? Is it going to be Henry Shefflin? Is it going to be Eddie Brennan? Is it going to be uh, potentially Michael Fenley? Is it going to be David Herity? And now we have our answer. So what, what happens to that collection of people, maybe including yourself here as well, David? Like, I mean, there, it does seem that there is... Um, it's, it's hard to know what happens next for, for a lot of, of, of those managers. Is there, is there a high-profile under-20 appointment to be made in the not-too-distant future, for example? Well, just, sorry, just uh, even myself, I'm, I'm with Calair. I was with Calair for the last four years, and I'll be, thankfully I'll be with them again. I, I met up with them over a month ago, so that's all that's good anyway. Answer, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's great um, to be with them again. Michael Fenley, yeah. Eddie Brennan, I know there's strong rumours with himself at Waterford. I do think there is... Um, it's interesting to see. Just I think Michael Fenley would be a very good fit for the under-20s. Uh, if he, if the likes of Connor Fielding went in with with the likes of a Michael Fenley, um, I think he'd be very good there. But having said that, he has two young kids. Michael, he might enjoy the time that back with with the two young lads there. Um, but there is, I, I'd imagine Eddie would pick up some one of the jobs. I'd imagine mm-hmm. it will be uh, Watford. He'll be in contention with the likes of DJ. I suppose is still flat out with Carlo IT. So there's there's that. Henry's off in Galway. Um, but that under-20 job is going to be interesting. Does Michael Rice see, you know, he's put in a lot of work with, a lot under Derek Ling over the last three years. Does he feel that it's a very good age? It's a nice, it is a lovely age, kind of under-20 as well, because everyone's young and hungry and eager. And there's not, as I said, those endless hours throughout a whole week trying to break down an opposition. You're kind of just, you know, you don't have all those league matches as well, which is mentally and physically draining. And Michael's obviously a principal down in Watford and he's another young family as well. So maybe he might just decide maybe the under 20 route, you know, gain up his hours and his experience of management and uh, go into that. So I just think between Michael Fenley, possibly Connor Phelan and Michael Rice, there's a nice battle on there who could take on that under-20 job. But it's a, it's a very attractive one with so many lads underage from this year's team. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, David, listen, great stuff this morning. Thanks, Millie, for being with us. Uh, David Herity there on the line, uh, current Kildare manager. Uh, I did want to actually just ask that more clearly, but he is... Uh, confirmed this David Kildare next year because we had, did have a couple of comments coming in asked David does, can he confirm is he staying with Kildare or not joining Ling's ticket in Kilkenny Mark Dunning's been in touch and uh, you have your answer there it's just fascinating just the amount of great ex-players that are making waves and coaching at the moment and uh, whenever there's talk around any Kilkenny job uh, it's always uh, really really interesting with regards to some of the names that are out there uh, OK we are turning our attention in just a moment to NFL we're going to be joined by Jason Bell but before that after St. Patrick's Athletics fantastic one Away, 1 0 win away to Seska uh, Sofia last night. Manager Tim Clancy reflected on another famous European night for the club. Have a look. Uh, listen, it was, it, was, it was a very good defensive performance, a uh, very disciplined performance as well. Um, with a few bookings early in the game, again, which I thought were very soft. Uh, seemed to be with us getting penalised for every, every contact and getting booked for very little. And the opposition weren't really getting punished for any tackles or pushes or um, bad tackles that were in the game as well. Um, so I think the discipline side of things and um, how he defended uh, resolutely and um, stuck to the game plan to, to frustrate them and limit them and deal with crosses I thought was excellent um, and we still had that threat in the counter-attack and um, the last couple of weeks we've, we've left back passes short 
in a few games and got punished for it. And it was good tonight that we were on the other end of it. The game was getting stretched. Uh, I think they were feeling pressure from their home fans as well to go and get a get a winner themselves. And at that stage, Billy King had put a lot of a lot of work in. And Serge um, has that energy and has that pace and the quality as well. So we thought that making that change at that moment in the game might have um, given us that opportunity. And, and thankfully, Serge uh, got onto the end of a short back pass, went around the keeper and slotted it home and got us the win. We're having a, a, a season that's very uh, frustrating for everybody, I'm sure the fans as well, because some games were excellent and other games were a little bit off at um, consistency levels. And I think that comes with um, the age profile of the squad as well. But the more games we're playing, um, the more confident they're getting and the more belief that they're getting as well. And um, to be able to come out here and defend and stick to a game plan the way we did and um, capitalise on a mistake and, and end up winning the game um, is testament to them. So, we're hoping that it just gives them more confidence now and more belief going forward and we can start getting more consistency in our, in our league form. No, listen, they're a very good team. They've got a lot of very good players. So um, tonight's it's a perfect uh, night for, for us at Pats that we defended brilliantly and we took one of the chances that we got uh, on the counter-attack. It's always different when you're watching it from the sideline. So we'll, we'll watch the game back probably tonight or over the weekend and we'll analyse it and then we'll prepare for them again next week and see if we can pick up on a few things that... Um, we noticed throughout the game. Um, well, certainly from the sideline, there was, there was a lot of hairy moments that <laughs> were balls into the box and we managed to defend them very well. And I still think the other, other end of the pitch, we had a few very good opportunities where, again, maybe the final ball or the final decision um, probably let us down. But um, it certainly it gives us a little bit more belief going into next Thursday. Okay, so as you probably know by now, the Northwestern Wildcats are going to play the Nebraska Cornhuskers in the Aer Lingus College Football Classic at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday, the 27th of August. You can buy your tickets right now. It's going to be an absolutely fantastic day out. And I'm delighted to welcome former NFL player and presenter of the NFL show on BBC, Jason Bell, back to the show. Jason, how are you getting on? I'm doing well. And I'm a for, former college football player, so this all makes sense. Well, talk to us about your college football days, then. You are a, a star of the lecture halls of UCLA, I understand. <laughs> I was, I was. I've never heard it put that way before, and I like, <laughs> yes. Um, UCLA, it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life. I mean, even though I played in the NFL for a while, we all used to talk about our experiences in college, in college football. And it was a great time. That's why I'm so excited to watch this game. I know what those players feel like on the field playing together. And now that they get to play in Dublin, I wish I would have been able to do something like that. That would have been something I remember uh, my entire football career. So this is this is great. You know, I'm, I'm excited about it for the fans. But as a player, I'm always thinking about uh, how they view things. And I know this is going to be a great experience. And that's why you're going to have a good game. What sort of player were you in college in terms of uh, the notoriety that you had for your qualities? I mean, I was, I, I, I think I was a good player. I was always <laughs> a starter. Um, we were a really good team. We won the Pac-10 championship twice. Uh, we were the highest I, we ranked. We were the number three team in the nation, number two team in the country. And yeah, I played well, uh, really just a, a guy that was out there. I was a worker. So I was trying to outwork everyone, uh, trying to, I was team first all the time. So I'm still friends with so many of those guys. So it was, uh, 
it was uh, I, I left it on the field. I'd, I'd like to say. Uh, could could you explain to us what the, the geography is of UCLA to where you grew up? Because you're from Long Beach, as, as far as I know. So is UCLA yes. your your college team, and and is, is it like playing for the team you supported as a kid, or or how how does that work? Yeah, you have two teams you basically support, and that's UCLA or USC. And my entire life, for some reason, I loved UCLA, probably because the basketball team and my dad loved uh, college basketball and professional basketball. So I remember watching UCLA when I was young, thinking, man, I would love to play there. And then it, and then it happened. I had the opportunity to go there. So always been a UCLA fan. Uh, walk around the streets of London with a UCLA sweater on all the time. <laughs> uh, what sort of basketballer were you? Terrible. Right. I could not play basketball. Yeah, I, I was made for football okay. and I was made to run backwards. I mean, that's that's all I was good at. It's a pretty important gift for one side of the ball, right? It is. It is. It was everything that I all the skills I had were specific to being a defensive back. So it really worked out for me. That period of time in your life, as it is for every college player, is really interesting because you've got your scholarship, you've got a bit more notoriety, you've got loads of people coming to watch your games. How big and how important is the challenge of trying to keep your feet on the ground at that moment in in a young man's life? Yeah, you know, it is tough, but I would say for the most part, if you're lucky enough, you have a lot of good guidance around you. When I look back at UCLA and the things I was going through and the circumstances and all of the challenges, like you said, it was the people around me that helped me overcome those and navigate my way through that. And I think in college, you are if you're lucky enough to have those kind of people around that give you that kind of time uh, that are looking out for the best case scenario for you, uh, you're able to kind of sustain and make it through that. And I presume that wasn't always the way for a college footballer, but what it certainly seems to to a lot of us is that college sports in the States is always at the cutting edge of sports science and psychology and and whatever it may be. So I presume that as a college footballer, you would have been ahead of the game in terms of keeping your feet on the ground compared to, say, maybe young football players at this part of the world or, or other young professional athletes. It feels like college sports is always kind of ahead of the game in that regard. Yeah, I can only speak to my experience at that time. And yes, uh, we we did at my university, UCLA, uh, we had the resources to really help you uh, go through and navigate whatever you had to do. Like you said, keep your feet on the ground. So yeah, I mean, I I felt that way at UCLA. Uh, Am I I right in saying that injury was was an issue for you uh, during one of your years in college? Yeah, I almost, I basically missed my last year of college because I had a heel injury. I had surgery and it didn't heal right, and I missed the entire year. Actually thought my career was over. Uh, didn't think I was going to get a chance to play in the NFL. Uh, so that that was a very difficult time in my life, and um, uh, I'm glad I made it through that. To, to what we were discussing earlier was the people around me that helped me through that. So do you go from a position where you're almost sure you're going to be playing in the NFL to thinking that your dream is in severe jeopardy? Without a doubt, I was one of the top-ranked corners in the country. Probably would have been a much higher draft pick. I wasn't drafted at all, and it was because of that injury. I really thought I was never going to play again. I had prepared myself mentally for what I was going to do because football felt like it was no longer an option. When I got back on the field and I played, uh, I I felt like I played well, but when I look back on it, I I wasn't really the same player because I hadn't really healed. So 
luckily enough, I was able to get my body together to test and get ready for the NFL uh, because it was I ne'er I made it with a very small margin. Uh, I it was I can't believe how close it was for me not making it to the NFL because of that injury. Out of interest, could I ask what was your life plan in that scenario where you thought you hadn't made it? I was going to go into some form of finance. Okay. That's when I started falling in love with it. Okay. It was a finance that you were studying in college? No, it was art history, but I, I, yeah, I I loved, I remember walking into this uh, student bookstore and looking at a financial magazine and thinking, you know, I'm walking uh, through this college, I have all these classes and this stuff is like a foreign language. So I need to figure this out. (laughs) Are you still interested in art history or was that just something you, you, you fell into? Still interested in art history, love art, um, love spending a lot of time in different museums, uh, just fascinated by it, fascinated by artists. I am just such a fan. I can't believe people can look at something and create out of nothing like that. I just, it's unbelievable. Who's your favorite artist? Salvador Dali. Okay, I see. Is that why you moved to Europe? Is that the real reason behind all of this, Jason, that you're like, you know, (laughs) it's not good enough for me over here in the States? Uh, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, I've gotten pulled this direction. Uh, there, there's gotta be something to it. Uh, yeah, I, I love art. I love, I love, I just love the history of art. So this is, this is why I'm in my playground. Absolutely. I, I'm about to put myself into deep waters here where I cannot possibly swim, but I'm about to ask you, what's your favorite piece of work by Salvador Dali? And I'll pretend that I know what it is. Uh, probably Dali Vision. Okay. Uh, looks, yeah, looks like uh, President Lincoln's face, and then it kind of turns into Dolly as as you kind of look at it from different angles. So yeah, yeah, cool, nice one. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was that moment when you talk about making it by a very fine margin in, into the NFL. Can I ask you what what um, the NFL draft was like for you in 2001, wasn't it? That was your draft class. Uh, when you, you go undrafted, was there an expectation that you could make it and then you do go undrafted or, or how was that whole week for you? Well, at first, at the end of the season, I had an opportunity to go to an all-star game, which would have really helped. And I broke, I broke my foot in the bowl game. So I missed the all-star game. I missed the combine. I missed everything I could do to give myself a chance to get drafted. So I went and I was able to run a 40 on my pro day, which is a workout at your school. And I ran so fast, things started to change. Uh, people were talking again. Hey, maybe this guy's healed again. He, he, you know, he might be his old self. And so I, thought maybe there was a chance to get drafted it would have been in the later rounds but I was mentally prepared for a fight I knew I just needed to get on a team and once I was there I was going to go out there and earn my stripes so I had the kind of mental awareness that it wasn't going to be easy and I was I was I was so prepared for that I think that's my advantage and why was able to play in the league for as long as I did. Well, I was just about to say, Jason, I mean, you didn't need to go finding ways to keep your feet on the ground after that sort of experience. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, it's funny the things that happen to you and you look back and you think it couldn't have gone any other way. And it really prepared me for a lot of things that uh, came up in life after that. So I'm I'm very grateful. It was, it was a struggle, but I am very grateful uh, for that experience. 
Because I've often, I've often wondered how that weekend goes for people who are low down through the rounds in, in the NFL draft. If, if it's so well choreographed that you are expecting the call, but you're, you are sitting there by the phone all weekend in, in case it does ring. Yeah, I mean, you know, I saw a lot of my friends that expected to go higher. They were just so disappointed. And, you know, that really impacts you because when you get on a roster, you could see the guys that thought, man, I should have got drafted higher. They felt like they were owed something. And when you're out there competing, that's not good to be thinking about that. You just need to be in the moment, go out there and fight. Some people are motivated by it. And some people, I think it's it weighs on them so much that they can't even perform at the highest level that they should be able to. Okay, very interesting. Um, okay, so we're a couple of weeks away from the College Football Classic here in Dublin, Jason. Where in Dublin will we meet you for a pint beforehand? I mean, listen, I'm going to be all over the streets because I want to see how the people are partying. So I've heard there are specific bars that are designated for each team, and I'm going to find those establishments, and I'm going to be in there because I need to see exactly how these college football fans are enjoying Dublin Iron. <laughs> no better place to do it. I think Temple Bar somewhere is where the, the tailgates are going to be set up. But it's going to be fantastic. Uh, we will see you in a few weeks, Jason. And by the way, I just uh, Google image searched Dali Vision. It is a spectacular piece of work, even on my crap laptop screen. So thank you for the shout. See, there we go, man. Hey, man, I can't wait to see you there. It's going to be fun. Chat to you soon. That's uh, Jason Bell, former star of the NFL and, of course, presenter of the NFL show on the BBC. It is, of course, the Northwestern Wildcats against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. It's Saturday, August 27th. It's the Ireland's College Football Classic. Tickets are on sale now. Chris Martin. Oh, you're kidding me. September. Kyle Lafferty. Are you no! joking me? Is that right? I know. Is that right? Ah. Uh, Else. Like that is one of the most stupid questions. Darius Vassell? Seriously, you only need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome along to the shoutiest segment on Irish Radio. It's the scintillating, it's the stupefying, it's the splendido crappy quiz. Every Friday we pit three of team off the ball up against each other in our no-holes-barred quiz of sporting factoids at the end of the week. Allow me to welcome today's contestants. Our first contestant is back after a long hiatus. Some say he's been busy working on a PhD to match the education level of a certain in-house rival who has repeatedly called him out. It is Phil the Power Egan. Morning. Good to have you back, Phil. Good to be back. Yeah, a lot of smack talk in my way. And this is my chance now to bounce back and give my uh, tuppence worth. The smack talkie is here. The smack talker was curiously unavailable this morning. Our next contestant is a minted man after selling a certain professional golfer's clubs on eBay during the week. This unnamed golfer was complaining about his clubs being missing, but little does he know they went to a great cause, a.k.a. the wallet of Will Wackenroll O'Callaghan. <laughs> yeah, because um, Larry has been, you know, reunited with his clubs ahead of the Wyndham Championship. I'd like to. Are they really his clubs? Joke. Are they really his clubs? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he could have got new ones, but I don't really want to have to walk around town in about 15 minutes' time with a claim that I have uh, scuppered the hopes of Offley's number one golfer being Offley's 279th best golfer. Here. Uh, our final contestant is shaking in fear after the events of the summer. First they took Sonny Corleone, then Polly Walnuts got popped. Could this cigar-smoking, curb-stomping boss be next? Give it up for Don Juggan. <laughs> you saw that photo on Instagram then, Owen, yeah? Yes. The, well, I, did, I, was, I was, it was, looked like an absolute 
Muppet, but um, no, he didn't. That's why I didn't put it on Twitter. Nobody looks like a Muppet smoking a cigar. How was it? Uh, the cigar. Um, I only have cigar maybe once every five years. It was um, the notes were good, and I had a twenty uh, euro uh, whiskey. Amazing. The the higher you go up in the whiskey chain, the less um, painful it is to drink it. Right. So um, this is the first time probably in my life I've had a whiskey that I enjoyed rather than doing it for the show. It sounds idyllic. Uh, as ever, the format is the classic crappy quiz with a series of questions on a range of themes. Then it's on to the slip and slide of trivia, which is the rapid fire round. You can podcast the crappy quiz on otbsports.com or on the OTB Sports app. And if you're watching on YouTube, we would love for you to give us a thumbs up. You can send any questions via postcard to crappy quiz quizmaster off the ball towers, Marconi House, Diggs Lane, Dublin 2. Round one is the boring questions round. It's never multiple choice. However, given the heavyweight nature of this particular crappy quiz clash, the brainiacs are in the house and it will be multiple answer. Not multiple choice, but multiple answer. Phil, question one for you. Which two clubs joined Manchester United in the top three in the first ever Premier League season? Aston Villa. That's one. They came second. Who finished third for one point? Um, right, let's just see. 92. Um, Norwich? Correct. Good knowledge. Phil Egan's off the mark. Will, there are five players still playing inter-county Gaelic games in either code that have five all-stars. Can you name three of them, please? They're still playing right now. Okay. Um, yeah, he was on the show last night. TJ Reid. That's one. <clears throat> it's going to be some of the Dublin footballers. Is Karen Kilkenny got five? Fenton. Um, I'll try Brian Fenton. Correct. That's two. Hank, oh, Hank is Hank is on the move to get one of his treats. <laughs> um, Patrick Horgan possibly is five as well. Ah, sorry, Will. At the final hurdle. The ones you were missing were Lee Keegan, Kieran Kilkenny, uh, and Dahi Burke. I don't mind, but I was about to go for Kieran Kilkenny literally before I said Fenton as well. There you go. John, Manchester City are aiming to become the first club not called Manchester United to win the Premier League title three times in a row. Can you give me the two years in which United completed both of their three in a rows? Is this in the Premier League? Yeah. Um, 2000 and... Uh, ooh, let me, ooh, so 2009 was one of them. Yeah. Um... Correct. John Duggan's off the mark. Uh, Round two is the Wikipedia list round. This game is simple. I will list from Wikipedia in order from first to last the clubs a footballer has played for. And all you have to do is guess the footballer in question. The first person to do so will win the point. Remember, there is one major rule. To avoid the complete carnage of a guessing free-for-all, each contestant must state their own name before guessing a player. Of course, this is the crappy quiz, so your names are your crappy quiz nicknames. We have the power, we have walk and roll, and we have Don Juggan. Failure to do so will eliminate the contestant from that particular round of the quiz. You get one guess per club named. You ready? Okay. Question two for whoever shouts their name first. This first player started their senior professional career with 
Jomo Cosmos. Then he went on loan to Grasshoppers. He then went on, he then moved to Oxair. Ozair. He then moved to Portsmouth. He then moved to Manchester City. Oh, walk and roll. Yeah. It's Benjani. Correct. One all after that answer from Will. Question two for whoever shouts her name first. The second player started their senior professional career with Mets. He then went on loan to Newcastle United. He then moved to Fulham. He then moved to Manchester United. Louis Saha. Correct. Louis Saha. And finally, this final player started their senior professional career with Manchester City. He then moved to Newcastle United. He then moved to Queen's Park Rangers. He then went on loan to Marseille. Uh, Power. Joey Barton. Correct. Philegan's opened up a two-point lead. It's 3-1-1 after round two. Joey Barton is the correct answer. Round three is the pass the parcel of doom round. In this round, all you got to do is give me a name that's on a list of names and the parcel of doom passes on to the next contestant who then also has to give me a name. We will keep moving through the list until one of you gives me an incorrect answer, at which point that person will be eliminated. When two people are eliminated, the remaining person gets a point. Phil, you're first up. Can you name a player who scored more than 10 goals in last season's Premier League? So this is the top 19 goal scorers of last season. Okay. Um, Mo Salah. Mo Salah is correct. It moves on to Will next. Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo is correct. Harry Kane. Kane, yeah. Sadio Mane. Mane is correct. Uh, Son Heung-min. Yeah. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Ronaldo, which he's already done. Am I out? Um, Go again there, John. Uh, ah, Owen. You're very charitable this morning, Owen. Oh, it doesn't, oh, it doesn't matter. He's, he's removed himself from the situation. You're very charitable. Um, we could have had a, another disgusting scene there I guess uh, Phil ok so this was more than 10 goals did you say more than 10 yeah I will not accept 10 on the button I thought there was a time limit on this ok it's not there's just tense music that should Sorry, eventually um, freak I need to do it quickly uh, right. um, god I'm just you can see the rustiness hasn't been here for a while I'm just having an absolute I feel like I'm going to have to Riyad Mahrez Mahrez is correct Uh, we're still alive Jamie Vardy correct Ollie Watkins Ollie Watkins is correct good answer well I'm going to risk Mason Mount Mason Mount is correct good answer as well Phil Premier League goals Premier League Lacazette No Will gets the point he's called one back the remaining players were Jared Bone Kevin De Bruyne Diogo Jota Madison Puki Rafinha Saka Sterling Tony Zaha Will you lead us off on this one. Can you name any county that has won the Senior Women's All-Ireland Football Championship since the competition began? There are 13 counties. 
okay. Um, Meath. Meath is correct. It goes to John next. Waterford. Waterford is correct. Dublin. Dublin. Kerry. Yeah. Monaghan. Correct. Cork. Cork is correct. Uh, Leash. Leash is correct. Mayo. Yeah. We're into thin air here now, I think. How many left? One, two, three, four, five. Galway. Galway is correct, yeah. Just goes it. Uh, if failed, then will. Yeah. Um, uh, Tipperary. Correct. Good answer. It's so goddamn tense. Common. Ross Common is correct. You've got two left. Tyrone? Tyrone, no. You're out. Will. Ah, uh, this was baffling. They lost some in the 70s, but did they win a Brendan Martin along the way? Uh, I'll go. I'll try. No, because then go around the first semi final. I'll try awfully. Correct. Yeah. There's one left. Can John get it? Got 12 of the 13. This parcel will explode in your face. Well, this is not uh, in any way tense. This is too vibe. I would have thought Will would have got off. Arma? No, it's not Arma. It's Kevin. It wasn't far away. Well done, Will. You get the point there. Full of parcels. And finally, uh, John, you lead us off at this one. Can you name any event in the men's decathlon? I'll obviously need specific distances where required. How many events? <laughs> 10 isn't it yes um, it's, so we're talking about um, 100 metres correct that's one of them it goes to uh, Phil next ok um. Javelin Javelin is correct the long jump yeah Four hundred meters hurdles. Oh, I cannot accept. Sorry, John. You're out. Phil. Okay, I'm gonna, it's, it's one or the other. I'm gonna say fifteen hundred meters. Correct. Will. Uh, I've got a real bad feeling. I don't. There's a steeplechase in there. I think. There is not. No. Unfortunately, okay. Phil gets the point. The 400 metres itself without the hurdles would have been an answer to 110 metre hurdles. The discus, the high jump, the pole vault and the shot put is a yeah. pretty straightforward roundup of track and field events. So it's Phil four points, Will three points, John one point as we head into round four, which is the fun free magic number round. Contestants get three points here for getting the number exactly right. Johnny needs to get the three here. If no one manages that, the nearest contestant who doesn't go bust gets two points. The second closest gets one point. I'm going to state that we can only accept the answer that's written on your paper and I'm also going to have to ask for your pens once the music ends. So if you don't mind, give us the following number. 
the number of times Kilkenny have won the All-Ireland Camogie Championship senior plus the number of goals Beth Mead scored at Euro 2022 plus the number of years since Nottingham Forest last played in the Premier League plus the number of times the All Blacks have won the World Cup your 30 seconds expire Sinatra sings bright shiny beads so how many times have Kilkenny been crowned All-Ireland Senior Camogie Champions how many times did Beth Mead score at this year's Euros how many years has it been since Forrest played in the Premier League and how many times have New Zealand won the Rugby World Cup add them all up what do you get closest gets two points is Don't Go Bust on the money you get three we'll, we'll go to you first I'm going to try 38. 38, Phil? I'm going 52. 52. John? 44. 44. John gets a two points. He could be still alive here. Will gets one point. Phil went bust. Wow, that uh, changes things. So, the number of times Kilkenny have won the All-Ireland Camogie Championship is 14. Beth Mead scored six goals at Euro 2022. The number of years since Forrest have played in the Premier League is 23. And then the All Blacks have won the World Cup on three occasions. That gives you a total of 46. And because John got 44, he gets the two points. And Will, you get the one point. We tossed the coin before coming on air. If it's Will versus Phil, Phil won the coin toss. So they're both on four points apiece. John, you're just one behind and three. So all to play for. Our winner tonight will be decided in the no theme in particular. Ridiculously easy rapid fire round. So the score you get in this round will be added to your score in the previous round. 40 seconds for everyone to answer for the same set of questions. As I said, they were going to start with Phil, then on to Will, then on to John. If you get a question correct, I will ask you another question and keep asking you questions until you get one wrong. Once you get a question wrong, I'll move on to the next person and your incorrect answer also means the deduction of one point. So, Phil the Power Egan, are you ready? I am. Your 40 seconds starts now. Name the Macedonian team Shamrock Rovers are currently midway through a Europa League tie with. Scoopy. Correct. Who was crowned GA Footballer of the Year last year? Um, Too long. Kieran McGeary. Jamie McGrath has joined which club on loan, Will? Dundee United. Correct. What is Aaron Galan's club? Patrick Swell. Correct. Who won the Open last month? Oh, it was Cameron Smith. Correct. What country has Casper Schmeichel moved to for his club football? France. Correct. In what city did the 1972 Summer Olympic Games take place? Munich. Correct. Who was the last British manager to win the Premier League? Too long. Alex Ferguson. Name the Antrim Hurling manager, John. Darren Gleeson. And I think Will O'Callaghan after that incredibly impressive rapid fire performance is your winner. Will, take it away. What do you have to say? I'm off to enjoy my new golf club zone (laughs) and to stop Hank trying to steal the pen from my hand for the magic number round. Um, yeah, it's fantastic to be back on the uh, the crappy quiz and it's one to stick up on the database, which I haven't actually checked in a while, but I will check now after this latest victory. You got the cigars, Will. You got the cigars. Give us um, give us a Hank as Simba in the Lion King moment, please. <laughs> right, hold on. Definitely, getting a little bit too way, big for this. The stats, I'd love to see the stats on when things are tight, the person that goes ah, second in the rapid fire. Yeah. Because first question is always hard, yeah. First question is easy. It's the second one that trips you up. Yeah. Look at him. Look at him. Happy out. Can you Brandy actually Bar- see him command. due to the camera blur? Hopefully you can. For any of our radio listeners, we've got a very cute pup 
And Mike, you've seen him before. You know the crack. He's the lucky mascot. Does that music eventually run out? Um, Rick Jagger's been in touch to say Will's shirt needs to relax a bit. I lolled at this comment, he says. Yeah, uh, just notes that on YouTube. Yeah, the stripes on it appear to be uh, causing a little bit of camera blur. Oh, sorry, the part of the comment wasn't I lolled at this comment. That was Cullum saying I lolled at this comment. I thought was, that was Rick Jagger. Apologies, Rick. Great comment. That's this week's <laughs> crappy quiz. <laughs> Oh, you're kidding September. Kyle Lafferty. Are you joking me? Is that right? I know! Is that right? Uh, Anybody else? Like, that is one of the most stupid questions. (laughs) Darius Vassell? Seriously, you all need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? Day, and we are back on Monday morning from half past seven during myself in studio we'll review the All-Ireland Camogie final alongside Limerick's Fiona Hickey and we'll react to the first weekend of the Premier League alongside Daniel Harris and Phil Thompson right now we're leaving you with Jenny Brentas who joined Richie McCormick on last night's show to break down the details of the Deshaun Watson case and its ensuing fallout in America enjoy have a great weekend OTB AM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.